Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Awa Podcast You! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Awa podcast you. Zero listeners. Awa podcast you. <laughs> yeah. Da-na-na. I forgot we were going to talk about it. Da-na-na. David, we have to go back. Dude, you just went. We have to go back to Avatar Land. You're right. Da-na-na. Hello, everybody. My name is Griffin Newman. I'm David Sims. This is a podcast usually <laughs> about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy pass from projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes AWA bounces them, baby. <laughs> AWA has bounced you. Yes. <laughs> AWA bounces you. Uh, t- today we're doing something kind of different. By something yeah. kind of different, we mean we're doing our, like our stupidest episode ever. You mean? And we're combining like four different things into one. Yeah, this episode. is it's just like be a grab the, bag episode. This is the garbage plate. <laughs> this is our buffet episode. Yeah, garbage plate. This is our golden corral episode. Sure. Okay, this could be a fun episode. Fans are gonna love it. We're gonna win another Obi. This episode, Podmas, here we come. We <laughs> can't. Yep, Podmas, here we come. Long, long promised, long hinted at, long demanded. I took a trip to Avatar Land, aka the world of Pandora, mm. or is Pandora colon the world of Avatar. That's what it's called. It's not called Avatar Land. It's not, but I'm sort of on like a friend basis with it, so I call it Avatar Land. Right. But it's called Pandora colon the world of Avatar at Animal Kingdom, Walt Disney World Resort, Orlando, Florida. Wait, what? At Animal Kingdom? It's, it's part like, of the Animal Kingdom. What's the Animal Kingdom? Okay. I don't know anything about Disney parks. Have you ever been? No. Have you ever been? I was too young. I don't remember okay. it. Okay. Well, I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida is comprised of four different theme parks. You got Epcot. I know that. Right. And that's sort of the techie one, the, the Unite the, the Continents one. <laughs> Hashtag great. Unite the Continents. Unite the Seven. <laughs> no, but, it, but that's sort of the, the worldly travels. Uh, combined with the let's take a glimpse into our future. Sure. It was always the park that had the uh, least IP related attractions. Right, right, right. But right. now that's changing. So they had like a, a Nordic ride that they've now transformed into a Frozen ride. Of course. They're apparently going to be putting a lot more Marvel stuff in there. I think it's sort of going to become their more adult theme park combined with their animated films that are set in foreign countries. We'll probably have a Coco ride within the next two years. I would bet on it. Because the three Caliberos, Caliberos, Caballeros, okay, fifth time's the charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that ride is not uh, doing incredibly well these days. It's a little out of date. Uh, yeah, and Coco rules. Have you seen Coco? I might see it right after this podcast if we get done in time. I fucking love it. I got the hottest of takes on it. I recorded an episode of Masterpiece Theater last sure. night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh out. Beagle, Scott Renshaw. Yep. Don't want to brag. I've now joined the Five Timers Club. I, humble brag. Five timers club masterpiece yep. theater, but I got all my hot takes of Coco out in that episode. Uh, great movie, um, great American film. I'm a little hungover, guys. That's Epcot, okay? <laughs> Magic Kingdom. That's the classic one, okay? So that's like where the castle. That's is. got the castle. It's right. got Adventureland. It's got Frontierland. It's got Tomorrowland. It's got right. Fantasyland. Right. It's like the the Walt Disney 
his like original idea of like right. Disneyland. That right. It's just and it's just the Florida version. And the Epcot was the only other one he had an active hand in. Mm-hmm. I think it opened after he died, but he was. Where's very the Hall of Presidents and all this? That is in the Magic Kingdom. Most of the iconic rides are at the Magic Kingdom. Uh-huh. So that includes obviously Space Mountain, Splash Mountain, all the sort of story dark rides where you go through the plot of a, a like animated Disney classic or whatever. Pirates. You got your fucking Country Bears Jamboree, um, Haunted Mansion, maybe right. the greatest ride of all time. Is it? So I thought. Oh, Jesus. But all maybe right. a new ride has taken all right, that so we've, you've mentioned Epcot and the Magic Kingdom. What okay. else we got? There was what was originally called MGM Hollywood Studios, but then the license ended. So now it's just called Disney Hollywood Studios. Interesting. That had the great movie ride. Uh-huh. That was sort of uh, Star Tours is there. And this is all owned by Disney? Correct. But like they would have other shit that was non-Disney? Within yes, their worlds. That, that, the idea was that that park is less about Disney films and more about the magic of movies. Uh, sure. And they have like a replica of man's Chinese theater. Uh, the great movie ride used to take you through the history of the movies now being replaced by a Mickey Mouse thing. That's where they're going to build Star Wars land. So the MGM park is mostly going to become a Star Wars park. Fine. Um, but then you also got Muppet Vision 3D, one of the greatest films ever made. You have Toy Story Midway Mania, which they're now expanding into Toy Story Land. That is actually the official name. The other ones I'm adding land onto, but Toy Story Land is going to be like four or five rides now, which I'm jazzed about. I don't, I just, I just don't understand any of this. I don't stuff. either. I'm listening to all of this and I'm like, why it would anyone? Me. I'm really describing it all kid, very well. I'm describing kid, it all very kid, well. I'm describing it all so well and I had a great time. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I liked theme parks okay because they right. were like you, these When you were a places. kid, like growing up in, in solely in the United States of America. <laughs> no, actually, I grew up in England. What? Which uh, has a lot of theme parks. You know, England's really into theme parks. I know that. Uh, you know, oh, so yeah, Ban- Banksy's. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Dismaland. <laughs> Uh yeah right. Remember right, Banksy? Yeah, yeah all right. What if Banksy a theme park? Let's get <laughs> let's get a Demi back on so he can talk about his remote Banksy. No, they have like Thorpe Park and like Alton Towers and Lego yeah. Land and uh, Chessington World of Adventures. They're just yes. like non branded theme parks. And because they're all kind of popular, they all like are always trying to outdo themselves. So they always have yes. these insane new rides. But a lot of those non-branded theme parks also have like one or two movie rides. Like oh, for sure. Specific. But it's like I always find that really interesting yeah, when yeah, you yeah. like, I, I'll go on to Wikipedia pages and it'd be like, oh, this like theme park in Bombay that doesn't have specific branding also has a Ghostbusters ride. Hey, man. You know, like shit like that. It's kind of nice. It's sort of the old yeah. days before everything was, you know, siloed and umbrellaed sure. and conglomerated. Right. Anyway, I mean, so we've said three of the four. We haven't even, we're not even fucking done. Is the fourth Universal Studios? No, Universal Studios. That's its, its own fucking thing. thing. Get the fuck but it's out of also here. In, it's also in Orlando, right? Correct. Okay. Universal has two theme parks. Jesus One is Universal Studios Christ. proper, and the other one is Islands of Adventure, which is technically comprised of five smaller I, theme By the way, I want to point something out. Can I point something out here? Point anything wait, 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 because we forgot about this. This episode's brought to you by Mac Weldon. Oh, this episode is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Anyway, back to uh, these four. That's very important. <laughs> we'll talk about that more you. later, but I just wanted to get that on the record. Look, the Bummer Boy's got to make our cheddar. Okay. What was the fourth one? <laughs> the fourth one is Animal Kingdom. Uh-huh. And that okay. was the one. The, that, that's like that's the Bronx the most Zoo. recent one. It's like trying to make the most immersive sort of animal wildlife retreat. Okay. And they pride themselves on it's sort of the most humane of all wildlife retreats in the United States, if not the world. Okay. They bought a massive amount of space and they replicated the So it's like you go on a safari, but it's not quite as uh, problematic. Right. So that's like the cornerstone of the park is like the long safari. Uh But that's always been the lagging park. Okay. There's this great safari where you get to see animals, but then they don't have that many other exciting rides. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Um, they have a ride based on dinosaur. 
Sure. The Disney animated classic. The DB Sweeney vehicle. <laughs> Dinosaur. <laughs> sure. Uh, but they don't have a lot. So it was this big strategic move to go, let's get Avatar. Here's a brand that's all about nature, is about the ecosystem, the oh, wildlife. Oh, I see. So is Avatar part of the animal kingdom? Correct. Oh. Okay. And right now it's a small section. I would not be surprised if it grows even more, especially if the sequels are well-received and becomes maybe like 50% of the park. So here's just a little backstory for yeah. everyone who's, this is their first episode listening, which I'm sure is you know, most of the audience. Yeah. Right. A you good know. entry point. No. Um, what was I going to say? So we reviewed James Cameron's films a while ago. And we made a promise when we covered a miniseries of a director, if they had a new film come out, we would go back and, and do a new episode, as we'll do very shortly with The Post. Mm-hmm. Stevie Spielberg's The Post. We're, True. We got an episode we're going to do on that. Yep, that'll drop in a few weeks. Yeah. And this is kind of weird because it's it's a theme park. Right. It's one of the things where you might say, actually, we don't need to cover it. Uh, well, agree to disagree there. <laughs> we also covered uh, Taruk, the first flight. We did, which we didn't need to cover that either, but we covered it. But it kind of set a precedent. Hey, that was good. That was a good show. Okay. It was a good show that we did. <laughs> no, David. David. What? The show that we did about the show was Bow good. Oh, dancing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> rope dancing. Ben was they wrapped. Had it. I was I was so in it. And David, Man. remember how funny that show was? Uh, yeah. It was, the first flight. it was funny. It had a wicked humor. God. Yeah. We're supposed to do like a lot of different things on this episode. <laughs> to think we who we were originally going to have on this episode, this bullshit. We originally had a very big guest lined up for this episode, which is crazy. Which is like, now that I think about it, I'm like, what the fuck were we thinking? We were talking with a very big guest who I, I think will be on the podcast at some point. It'd be lovely to have him. Um, or her. Ooh. Or them. Yeah. Except it's a him. I mean, in this case, it's a him. I gave I, it away. I, I appreciate you. I gave it away. Um, but uh, it has gone out of town, uh, out of country no, for a long fine. period of time. it's whatever. We originally thought we were going to be able to do a whole episode in Avatar Land because we were going to have him on. We sent him the list of all the movies we were covering in the future. And he said, I've been to Avatar Land. That's what I want to talk about. And then when he bowed out... We were like, let's just fucking do an episode anyway and then just answer a bunch of user questions. Yeah, and here's another thing that we're going to do right now. Okay. We're We're gonna, gonna, yeah, like garbage plate. This is the garbage plate episode. Bigelows. So what goes on a garbage plate? We've got a bigelow um, ranking. Onion rings. A trip to Avatar Land. Mac and cheese. <laughs> so the classic elements a of, our, of a red hot garbage plate yeah. are home fries, okay. macaroni salad, uh, baked beans, and then like, you know, your meat. So yeah. this is the baked beans because you guys have been working. You yeah. you baked up your list. Right. Didn't do it on Detroit because we ran long. Forgot to do it on Justice League. We're doing it now. The list is baked. Are you ready? Here's my Catherine Bigelow list. Yes. So just to, again, we, we covered the films of Catherine Bigelow last and we forgot to rank them. Yes. Last because our final episode was Detroit and yes. it was with Black Man Can Jump in Hollywood and it was a whole. Uh, you Spectacular. Know, we were, yeah. It was, we were busy talking with them. And yep. so anyway, so now we're doing it. Okay. Ready? Are we going to do ascending or descending? Uh, I always just do descending. I think it's sort of silly to start at 10. Okay, so ready? Yeah. I'm starting out. Get you ready. do yours and then I'll do mine. Okay. Right, rather than alternate. Right. Yeah. Number one film on my Catherine Bigelow list, Blue Steel. That's crazy. That you did crazy. love it. I loved it. And I'll say this. It's the film to me that feels most individualistic to her. Mm-hmm. It is the film that feels most unique to her that no other filmmaker alive could make. Uh, that's great. Keep going. Number two, The Hurt Locker. Okay. Number three, Point Break. Sure. Number four, Zero Dark 30. Uh-huh. Number five, Strange Das. Strange So we have the same top five in a totally different order. Okay. Number six, Near Dark. Yep. 
Number seven, The Loveless. Uh huh. Number eight, Detroit. Mm -hmm. Number nine, The Weight of Water. Wow. We mm. almost had the same bottom five, but uh, number no. ten, K nineteen. Wow, that's the rude to K nineteen. Wow, I could Ooh. not be bothered. To I know care you were very bored by it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so my ranking is number one, Strange Days. There it is. The days, they're strange. He's taken off his sweater. People, oh, keep talking. Number two, Point Break. Oh God, I just so good. Number three, The Hurt Locker. Number four, Blue Steel, which like I thought four was high. This is the the, the fucking just dumbest keep going. shit in the world. Talk, why are you in interrupting yourself? Uh, number five, Zero Dark Thirty. Number six, Near Dark. Number seven, The Loveless. Number eight, Detroit. Number nine, K nineteen. Number ten, The Way to Water. So we have basically the same back end, but uh, the top end we are all flipped around. Anyway, <sighs> boy, like I just I wish. I wish I could tell you guys what's happening right now. Tell them what's happening. I mean, we'll tweet it out. We'll tweet out the pick. But describe what's happening. So Griffin took his sweater off, revealing a sort of sparkly uh, teal shirt underneath that sort of mimics, oh my God, the uh, the skin of a, of a Navi. Then he attached a belt that I think has the tail. I didn't know, really see it. Yes. He made some kind of a spear, which I don't really remember them having spears. Sometimes. Okay. Then he put on what I can only describe as monkey ears, but I guess they're supposed to be Navi ears. He just put on a a necklace. This is beginning to... Oh, it glows. Feels like cultural appropriation. So I'm going to say Griffin spent probably $200 or $300 I mean, they on don't, this outfit. They don't not mark these things up in the theme park. <laughs> he just attaches braid for sex and or uh, networking purposes. He's got the... Does the spear li uh, light up? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's got blue socks. Are those? Oh, shit. Are you wearing a whole stocking underneath or just stock? socks? Just socks. Okay. So you're not going to take your pants off. They didn't have bathing suits. Not this week. <laughs> not Yet. this week. They didn't have bottoms. I desperately looked for bottoms. I did buy, they had flip-flops that, that lit up like LA lights. Uh -huh. There's a lot of light-up stuff in the theme park. Right. But I thought I could save $5 by buying the largest child size instead of the smallest adult size. Right. And in the process gave my feet horrible blisters. So I'm never wearing those ever again. Uh, I wasn't asking you to, to be honest. I'm telling you right now. Now you ask how much money I spent on this, and I respond to you, tax write-off, baby. I did this for work. Oh my God, that's what this is? <laughs> Hells yeah, baby. <laughs> writing off my whole trip. Have pity on your account. <laughs> no, honestly, you're so noble. Writing off my whole trip, baby. Uh, uh -huh. Truly a noble Thank thing to you. do. Thank you. Wow. I didn't want to do it. I had to. Demands of a career. Uh-huh. So, no, David, please. What? <laughs> please, what? What do you want me to do? No, please, please. Please, David, please. So, you look like a fucking idiot. What, you don't think this is a thing to commit to on an audio medium? This is reminding me of like our bad You don't think it's funny to spend hundreds of dollars on an audio? How much, all right, so first question, how much did you spend? Uh, Would you, just rough, ballpark. Yeah. Know. We'll bleep it out. A couple hundred bucks? I, th I think... I think I came in at about uh -huh. for this or for the everything you bought there for everything I bought there, which includes some gifts that I might distribute in a minute. Wow. To the two of you. All right. Well, that's pretty good. And I'll say your items are pricey. And here's the other thing. Whoa, okay? whoa, whoa. I'm a pricey guy. I got you. I got both of you some high end <laughs> items. splurged folks. I got you some high end items that were both tax write offs. Right. But 
here's here's the thing I gotta say. Okay, one, I went to Disney World with three other people. <sighs> okay, Scott Craterman, sure. His fiance, my friend Elisa Meligari. Okay, my best friend Sophie Fader. Yep, invoked many times on this podcast. The four of us went to Avatar World together, to Disney okay. World together. Okay. Okay. Scott is a Disney Parks fanatic. Okay. He's like comes from a Disney timeshare family. One of those, uh, yeah. Strategically, right. I know what time to be at what ride. Right, right, this right. This and that. Right. So he's got a discount because he's part of the Disney Vacation Club. Good for him. Okay. So when I went to buy my merchandise, he came up and used his card and of said, course. "This is my cousin. Can he get the discount?" So they were ringing it up. Said, "Yes, that's fine." How much is the discount? Twenty percent. Think yeah, fifteen, twenty percent, something like that. Okay? okay. They were ringing it up, and then it went through. I signed my receipt, and then we realized, oh, wait, he forgot to apply the discount because the number seemed a little high. Oh. So because of that, he took like $50 off. All right. So the first day I spent like $150, right? Uh How many days did you spend at this place? Uh, At Disney World in in totality or at Avatar Land? Oh, I guess. We went to Avatar Land three times. It was a five-day trip. Did you have like a hotel? Is it like a Disney hotel? We stayed at the All-Star Music Resort, which is the budget friendly okay disney but it's not like florida project budget it's close okay it's close it's obviously more well maintained (laughs) sure but that's the aesthetic okay it's that kind of hotel so mooney was there like throwing ice cream at you or whatever on cars (laughs) all our good friends uh we'll talk about that movie later yes we will um great movie uh willem dafoe more like willem the friend of good cinema let's say it every week but it was that kind of thing, and it's got this really tacky music theming, so they're like big sculptural banjos and, and fucking saxophones and shit. Uh, stayed there, okay? Sure. So it was like maybe my, my entire purchase was like $150, and then he was like, I'm sorry, he took like $50 off of it. Okay. So then the next day I was like, you know what, I should go back and spend another $50 because I essentially got that $50 for free. So then uh-huh. I got the missing pieces, the most expensive of which was the flip-flops, which I'm never going to wear again. Wow. Great story. These socks glow in the dark. I mean, this is really like what you what you want in a podcast. Da-na-na. Is someone describing his shopping experience yeah. at Avatar Land? And you describing what I look like. Describe my my body language right now. Describe my position. I mean, you kind of look like what I imagine Matthew McConaughey looks like when he's at home, you know? <laughs> you look very relaxed. You're wearing a lot of beads. My feet are Your up. Your feet are up on, on the, the desk. Table. You've got this uh, staff sort of perched on your shoulder. So you sort of like, you look like a hobo, you know, like you're holding it like a hobo <laughs> like a style, like a bindle. And is it, it, let me ask you, David, is my staff a glow? It's a glow. And you're also, you're wearing your ears, mm-hmm. which are attached to this band. Yeah. So you have this kind of like mid 2000s soccer player. Yeah. Are they sticking look. out? Are they getting squashed? Well, well your ears, no, your ears are sort of poking out above okay, your headphones. That's perfect. I was going to say it's kind of like a Coachella kind Love of look. It. Sure, Coachella yeah. is a good call. Yeah. Too, it's yeah, like, yeah, that's another yeah. good call. Either Coachella or like a Portuguese sort of soccer star from like 2005. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like True. early uh, mid 2000s World Cup look. Okay. Where so you've got the braid and the sort of the headband. Yeah. First note of constructive criticism. Yeah. Hey, Avatar Land, make me some bottoms. Make me some pants. So you, this want, stuff, you want a stocking. Coupled with my hoodie. No, they could just be, give me some sweatpants. Give me some bathing shorts. You know what I'm saying? They should right. have made it a onesie. Okay. They didn't have any onesies. Yeah. They didn't. They had like baby onesies. We should say when we saw Taruk, the first flight, yes. those motherfuckers are in body stocking. Correct. Um, which is covering their whole body. Yeah. Their hands, everything. So they look like Navi. 
And then they have like blue makeup on their face. Now, this is a really good entry point to start talking about my experience at Avatar Land, okay? Great. Because this is the first thing that I was surprised by, but ultimately impressed by. Okay. It's the, what, Ben, what were you going to say? Are you going to apply blue paint the whole time you're doing this? Yes. Oh. I mean, I, it depends I, on how long it takes me to cover. Just don't get it on the equipment. Yeah, that's fine. Right. Um, they did have a lot of face painting stations at <laughs> Avatar Land. And a lot of drums. You could, people were playing drums. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm reading an article right now. What's up? You're reading an article? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Avatar Land. Okay, so we wake up 7 a.m. First morning. Because Scott knows... Avatar Land's the new attraction. We got to get there early, right? Okay. So, so it's working. It's working. Like Avatar Land is a hit. It's a big hit. Okay. But it's also like time will really tell. Uh-huh. Because right now Disney parks have like such a fandom around them that any new attraction is going to attract a lot of people. Right. But so right. Will it stick? Right. Right. Because yeah, yeah. like Harry Potter Land is still enormous. Of course. People At love Universal. Harry Potter. It's, it's been huge. You know them. what else is still popular? What? Harry Potter. Correct. Now, you know what else doesn't seem that popular right now? The tar. Avatar. The tar. The Navi. For example, yeah. when we saw Taruk the first flight, you know how many seats were filled at the Barclays Center? Uh, maybe 15%. That seems a little. I mean, I was going to say 25. Yeah. You know, maybe 30. And for those who have not heard our Taruk episode, we also bought nosebleeds and they upgraded us to fourth row because the stadium was so empty. That is true. Our, we end up getting tickets that were like four times the value. Yes, and we ended up getting aggressively shushed by someone who filmed the entire thing on their phone. Na, na, na. Da, na, na, na. Da. So I think Disney uh, for so long had such a lead over Universal and Universal has been playing some serious catch up with Harry Potter. And also, I don't know if you know this, recently bought the rights to do a Nintendo land. I heard about which that. Which is yeah. going to be humongous. Sure. They've got these two big non-Disney properties that they've roped in. So Disney's now getting a little, you know. Antsy. Right. And so they know they got Star Wars. They know they got Marvel. They're injecting both of those in the park in a bigger way. But Avatar was their first big push for a new property, right? And it is this weird thing where you go, well, you know, I, I know... It's such a meme now. They're like, it's the biggest movie of all time. No one even remembers anything about it. Right. And then people making the jokes about, if you didn't remember it, then why would you keep on talking about it? no one remembers anything about it? Sure. And the jokes about the jokes and the jokes and the jokes and the it's jokes. It's such a great time we all have online. It's a great time. The yep. internet's great. Burn it down. But um, you do go there and you go like, is this really going to feel relevant? But the thing I found walking in immediately was, oh, wow. Avatar works better as a theme park than as a movie. Uh-huh. And I like Avatar as a movie, as you know. I think sometimes people think that we are the two biggest Avatar fans in the world. Right. Because we're the only people not shitting on Avatar and film Twitter right uh, now. Right. Right? Yeah. We both just think it's really fucking solid. It has some exemplary direction, right? Yeah. Uh, but Great like, action. Right. But for people who love like mythologies right. and it's world not building like and I universes. Give, it's not like I give one shit about right. the Na'vi. Whatever. Who cares? And I even talked about it in our Avatar episode for how much that movie works for me. I don't find the design of Pandora that inspiring. It's fine. It's, it's nice. fine. It's fine. But those people who are like, oh man, I got to go 20 times to the theater because I want to live in Pandora. Right. I never got that. And if any complaint I have about Avatar stands head and shoulders above the rest, it's, I wish he even could have gone a little further out there. Sure. I wish the, the Navi looked even less humanoid. Okay. Avatar land. I step into this park and I go, Jesus Christ, this is perfect. Uh-huh. Because the level of stylization for the movie is kind of stunning when you're walking around it in real life. 
Okay. And they've le- replicated it really, really well. So you walk into the animal kingdom and it's everyone- very hard to take you seriously when you have this braid. <laughs> uh-huh. You walk in. Yep. For the listener at home, what am I doing? You're stroking your braid. <laughs> Keep going. Animal Kingdom, you're, you're walking through, and then there's a very subtle transition into when you're entering the Avatar area. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the plants are looking a little stranger. Uh-oh. A little purpler. Uh-oh. And off in the distance, what's that you see? The floating mountains of Pandora. Uh-oh. Which are really fucking well executed. Uh-huh. They sort of design them so that the vines are hiding the support beams holding them up. Okay. So even if you're close, you can see that they're tethered sure. to the ground. Right. But if you're walking under them, you really kind of buy the scale of it. Now, here's the thing I was most impressed by. Unlike Taruk the First Flight, you have no cast members playing Navi. Okay. The expectation, I think, for a lot of people was that you'd walk in no, I get and there'd you. be some jamokes on stilts. Right. Right. You're saying it's all animatronic. And, and the employees are dressed up as essentially RDA employees. They're like... Uh, you know, the cast members are functioning like Sigourney Weavers, being like we're humans who have come here to bridge the gap with the Navi. I think technically the idea is that the park takes place thousands of years after the movies. So like the human Navi wars have ended and we're Jesus all good now. Jesus fucking Christ. So you're saying, all right, so Taruk. Yes. In a prequel. case anyone didn't remember, it's, it's t- it takes place about a thousand years before the movie. No, 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 no. First this- flight. It's, it, the, it's, it's about the first, the first flight. flight. Yeah. You know, TBH. <laughs> it's uh, first flight. Yes. Uh, and this is a thousand years after. Something like that. Because James Cameron is, he's too busy. He's like, he's don't, on, he's don't busy encroach with on my territory with the, what I want to cover in the movies. Go far enough away. And just now it's peaceful, coexistence. It's great. So all the cast members are expats. Right. Who now live on Pandora. Right. Right. The, the Navi we see are animatronics within the rides. I think big, biggest, second biggest note behind give me some, some bottoms at the gift shop. Yeah. I would love a planted animatronic or two when you're walking around the park of a Navi. It kind of gives us some magic that you only see the Navi when you're on the rides. But the animatronics are so impressive. And I'm a huge robot fan. And that's the thing I like most about Disney World is fucking Walt Disney was good at robots. This is just so dumb. And I love all the robots <laughs> at this park. Ben, ben and I are just looking at each other. But like they have like at night they do like a drum show where they explain to you the musical traditions of the Navi. But that feels like a little like because it's like some some dumb fucking humans reappropriating the Navi culture and going like in Navi land, Navi land, Pandora, you know, and they're like playing these big ceremonial drums and wearing like kind of what I'm wearing I right mean, that now. That sounds incredibly embarrassing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't it know is. how else to put it. Yeah. But there are no kind of freestanding uh, Navi's animatronics or even uh, creature animatronics. I'd love a dire wolf. You know? An yeah. Dactyls? The flying guys? Yeah. Is there a flying thing? No. Is there a six-legged horse? I, I think that's the dire horse. Yeah. Whatever. You said dire wolf. Oh, I think I'm combining two things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. Not, not in the walk-around area. Damn. The walk-around area is more focused on flora and oh, fauna that's cool and there's a beautiful ambiance there's a, sort of a nature track you hear the sounds of the creatures around you okay now when i was walking through there was a cast member dressed up as like an rda employee or whatever talking to another cast member and he was saying that he wasn't performing for anyone else he was talking just to another person and he went 
So he's just standing there in the middle of the area. And then this dire horse comes up right behind him, two inches behind him. And I went like, wait, is this guy eagerly explaining the plot of Avatar to another employee? Or is he so in character that not even communicating with visitors, he wants people to believe that he's telling stories of what he's seen in Pandora? Uh-huh. And it's that level of detail. Is there, um, remember how when we went to Taruk, there was that guy who farted at the condiment table? <laughs> is there anything like that going on? Yes, many fat people were farting. <laughs> it's Orlando, Florida. I mean, come on. Was sure. there any sauce sure. boys? There were sauce boys. It's gotta be. There were sauce boys, okay? So we're, we're walking around this area. We go immediately to the first ride, which uh-huh, is now which the most popular ride Disney World. Avatar Flight of Passage? Correct. Which is a, a, is it like a 3D, like a VR yes. ride? Yes. So it's not like a roller coaster. No. It's like you get in like a simulation booth. Right. They have okay. two rides right now, and I'd say they- Is it could, like one of those things where it goes like- I'm going to tell you what it is. It's going to blow your mind. Okay. I, I remember those things? Yes. Though? They were, I loved them when I was a kid. This is kind of like that. Okay. Um, the third ride I think they could use is like a roller coaster. Right. I think yeah. they could use a good roller coaster. Well, it, right now they have a great motion simulator. They have a dark story ride. They need like a, a thrill they ride. They need a, a, when you're on the birds. What the, well, that's what Taruk. this is. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, fine. But maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know. They, I mean, look, fucking give me two Ekron rides. Give me some fucking, it, it's not like we, we shouldn't double down on Banshees at a fucking Avatar theme park. You know? I just don't care. So the first ride we get there, and the line was really long, but we got there first thing in the morning. So I think we only waited like an hour and a half. And we were asking the employees, like, what's the worst wait time you've had? And they were like 600 minutes. 600 minutes? Yes. Wait, I have to do the math. That's 10 hours, basically. Correct. Wait, like someone waited 10 hours? Many people. I mean, if that many people weren't willing to wait, the wait would not be that long. But that... So, like, when they say 600 minutes, they literally mean... They just mean that at the peak, they were telling people you would have to wait 600 minutes. There's like an LED screen. There can't be someone who would actually wait 10 hours. Many did. Otherwise, the wait would not be there. Well, but surely some. Like the she was saying like the opening weeks. Sure. Fanatics were waiting like 10 hours. That's like. But on an average day. Outside of movie theaters. I mean, it's the same shit. On an average day. But like it can still hit four hours. For one, people don't really do that anymore. But for two, when you sleep. I do. Well, you've got problems. Yeah, that's also just by choice, man. You're <laughs> yeah, not right. waiting to see a movie. When people sleep outside a movie theater, yeah. they spent money yes. on the ticket. It's just the ticket. But here it's like... Well, it to- used to be you were spending, you were waiting so you could spend <sighs> the money. Fucking well, actually, me. So, but here it's like you, you paid to get into Avatar Land, yes. right? So it's like you're kind of, it's a lot of time wasted on the one ride. I agree. And there's a system called the Fast Pass system where Does you can it, sign up right, online yeah, 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 to right, get a right. time to come back. But the Avatar Fast Pass, from the moment they went on sale when the park opened in June, maybe, yeah. they were pretty much filled up for the rest of the year. I, it's like a whole world I don't understand it's at all. A, a world of Pandora. Like, I would go to Disney World if uh-huh. it was in Brooklyn uh-huh. and I had to wait zero minutes for every ride. You know what I mean? God, can you imagine if there was a Disney World in Brooklyn? We're like hipster world. Yeah. It, uh, the fourth theme park would be called Coffee Land. What about artisanal roller coasters? Ben's got my staff and he's acting like he's angry, like he's a warrior. He's poking at the sky. Hold it still, Ben. It's blurring. It's too much of an action shot. Ben can't stop fighting. (laughs) This is the best episode we've ever done. This is a real throwback to those fucking Star Wars episodes Mm -hmm. we would do where, like, God knows what we were talking about. Yeah. 
or, or rather, Awa knew what yeah. we were talking about. So we, we ended up having to wait maybe a little over an hour change. We got there pretty early, right? And marched right through. But they were saying sometimes the line is so long that the wait to get on the Avatar ride extends past the front gates to Animal Kingdom. Jesus. You can't even get into Animal Kingdom because right. the line's so long. But we wait a reasonable amount, and the pre-ride area is great because it's like the fucking Avatar Labs, right? It's like you, you feel like you could turn around and see Dilip Rao at any moment. Is that how you say his name? I don't know. I took I a think swing. Dilip Rao. I think I you're know. probably right. But they have the giant tank with like the Jake Sully Avatar. You know when he sees his Avatar for the I first do. time and it's I like do. comatose. I've seen the film, and they have a beautiful and it's like fleshy enough that it like kind of like it, it spasms. There's unobtainium. You see on Obtanium. What's Dilly Brow up to? I don't know. He came out of the gates so strong. But like that And then they locked that. the gates. <laughs> they locked him. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. He worked with three huge American I directors know, on his I first know, three movies I and know. then was out of here. So then we, we get on the ride, okay? Now here's the cornerstone of the ride. Disney now owns three of the four biggest screens in the world. Okay. The fourth one is some fucking IMAX screen. Uh-huh. Or some museum screen. And the other three are all on this ride. So this ride is based around the fucking biggest screen you can ever imagine, okay? Right. I'm listening. I'm listening big. too. It's big, big. Big screen, okay? Oh, I see. When you go inside, they give you the pre-training <laughs> thing, the video where there's some avatar, like, fucking... Telling uh, you, oh... Or an RDA employee going, look, we have to match you with this. There's a nice kind of thing where they scan you and they show you what your avatar is going to look like and they do it in real time. So you're watching it on a video and that's like fun. And then you go inside the proper room and they give you 3D glasses. Yeah. Okay? And then your ride, it is like a motion simulator thing. Yeah. But unlike Star Tours where it's like you're in one box. Right. Or some of these other things where it's like you're Don't in one in a suit. Mm-hmm. You got to think outside the box. Uh, you're in one chair and that chair moves around. Your ride vehicle is supposed to represent the the Ikron or the Banshee as humans call it. Banshee, okay. Right, right. And so you board your ride vehicle like it's a motorcycle. Wow. So you sit forward like this with your legs on the side strapped in and there's like a back support that comes in. So you're like fully like in position. Cool. Very like cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're riding a creature and then the screen comes up and they sort of like stack aisles on. So, so if you look to the side, you can see like 40 people over here, 40 people up there, 40 people down here. Right. You know, but your thing moves individually and your ride vehicle, which isn't on like a track, it's just sort of shifting around, right? Um, to simulate the feeling of riding a living creature breathes. Okay. So like in between your legs, the thing's expanding. I'm just I'm gonna give you like ten more minutes on Avatar Land, so you know, use them wisely. I need like forty. No, no, no. And contracting. So you uh-huh. feel like you're riding a, a living, breathing creature. Yeah. Which Sophie said felt very sexual to me. I love it. I love it. Sexy ride. And the ride is just you're 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 learning how to fly a banshee, but it is so exquisitely done. And the big screens, I assume, are like you're flying through the sky. Yeah, and, and best execution of 3D I've ever seen, period. Oh, you have the 3D glasses on? You have the 3D glasses, uh-huh. but also the only successful application of smell-o-vision I have ever witnessed. Oh, what are you smelling? Like, nature smells, but it's so fucking well done, you feel like you're in a forest, which really, like, sells the sensory experience of, like, you're going through a tree, and they're, like, pines, but it doesn't smell artificial. But when you go through a tree, do they, like, hit you in the face? There's some spritzing of water, there's some, like, spritzing of air, there's stuff like that, and there's some good drops, there are a good number, na 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 But when you drop... 
it doesn't drop. No, but but it is so sensory and it tilts okay. quick enough. That's cool. there, there's enough going on that it I'd tricks your mind enjoy into that. it. That sounds fun. And from a technical standpoint, it's the most impressive piece of, of ride making I've ever seen. Cool. So we went on that and we liked it so much. I think on our last day, we got there super early before opening. Did it again. We were able to get on it within 15 minutes, which was a really big accomplishment because we were at like the front of the line. I'd say you're, I mean, one of America's greatest heroes. I think so. Yeah. Big shout out to Scott Craven for coordinating that properly. Mm-hmm. And then the second ride. I want to point out, you came back from this whole excursion completely wrecked. Yes. Like we were supposed to record this episode, I believe, the day after Correct. you got back and you were just like, it's not going to happen. I was sick guys. for a week. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this whole trip was very, uh, uh, I, I came out of feeling very fatalistic. Okay. My, I, I, I felt my mortality more than I have in a long right, time. Well, you're growing up. Which I hate. It's dumb and I fucking don't like it. You know, but like I hadn't been to Disney since I was 20 Mm. and now I'm a haggard man of 28. All right. So I'm going to wrap you up soon. The second ride. The the Navi River Journey. Right. It's like a dark story ride. Right. right. You're sort of in a boat. It's wet. You're in the water. Yeah. I'm very fond of those. I love those. Because I'm not really a thrill seeker. Me neither. Roller coasters, I mean, they're okay, but like they just, I I don't have, some people are very drawn to roller coasters. I'm not at all. But I like the dark story you rides. Know why, You're right? immersed into this atmosphere. We yeah. love narrative. But people make These fun are of narrative them. rides. Yeah, right? those people can go fuck themselves. I mean, I know that like Pirates of the Caribbean is a little cheesy at this point or whatever. You well, know. no, the problem with Pirates of the Caribbean now is you know it's all about fucking Jack Sparrow now. Uh, oh, right. Of there course. are literally they, like, six put him into different it, Jack right? Sparrow robots now. And the whole ride is everyone going like, where's Jack Sparrow? And you know you're what? trying to play like, where's Waldo? I feel like all these studios, Disney and Warner Brothers, they're so fucked. They're so like dug in with Johnny Depp. Depp. They're in too depth. They they like they are in too depth. They like literally they're like because they're like there was this big interview today where David Yates was like I saw that. Well, I, I just think the whole thing's overblown. It was just one accusation. It's like, yeah, it was one accusation from his wife. Like yeah. it's not like some random, like, you know, yeah. anonymous person. Like, wait, but beyond that, like they the the thing that they need to be saying is like, look, uh, yeah, maybe we regret uh, paying Johnny Depp whatever it is we like, signing him to whatever contract yeah. we signed him to, and and that one's especially frustrating just because they already had fucking Colin Farrell. Uh, I know. Well, we've ranted about that before, yeah. but I'm just like, and the same with fucking Disney, where they like probably like five years ago they were like, just make as many Depp bots as you can. Yeah, it's build honestly, them out. And I'll say this: the robots are really good. They're really good Depp bots, but that makes it more unsettling. Yeah. Um. So this dark ride, which also has long wait times, I think sort of as the runoff, and I would say is not worth waiting too long for. We had a blankie on the Reddit who was saying the wait time was disproportionate to his enjoyment. Yeah. It's a pretty short ride, but it's sort of Pandora at night. Sure. And this is the ride where we have all the animatronics of the creatures, but also some really good 3D projections. So you have things running around. You have the sort of sprites in the air. And there are a couple Navi that are fucking unbelievable. The fluidity of their motion. You know, the the old, like, Hall of Presidents thing is the robots just kind of flap their mouths. There's no real lip sync. This, we have, like, a Navi who's, like, reciting a prayer, and it's, like, perfect fucking lip movements. And it also makes you realize how big these fucking things are. Because sometimes when you're watching Avatar the movie, you lose sense of scale if you spend too much time just around They're Navi. really tall. When you see Navi built as robots, you're like, this is pr- pretty fucking astonishing. Cool. So the last thing I have to say about uh, the Avatar theme park is we went back one time at night because at night, just the it's walk around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all lit up in a, in a really kind of beautiful way. They do a very classy sort of bioluminescence. 
and change the whole sort of vibe of of the place. And that would be a great thing, I would say. If you're just kind of in the Orlando area, want to grab a quick green beer, maybe stop by Avatar Land at night, <laughs> take right. in the night sights. I have some photos and videos that I'll post to our uh, Twitter. Um, but the thing that was nice, I tried to take a video of the the story ride. Um, and everyone, Scott was like, get ready to be a little disappointed. This ride's too short. Uh, our ride broke down. So we were stuck in one spot for like three minutes, which actually was great because we got to spend more time in kind of the ambiance. It was in like a pretty spot. Yeah. You know? So that was good. Uh, now I'm going to, I'm going to play it. So we, you know, we'll get off the avatar section, even though listeners are probably not anywhere near their filled. David's demanding it. Um, I have some audio I've recorded with my friends with Scott, Elisa and Sophie, and also our good friend, Becca Siegel, who uh, works at universal now has also worked at Disney. So has some inspired perspective on, on theme park culture. But it was uh, a nice trip overall, even though it did make me feel like I was 75 years old and I can't uh, tolerate fun anymore. Uh, I also just, it was kind of nice, I'll say this, not to like fucking, but there was this moment where I was like on Space Mountain or something, and I was like, this is one of the last completely apolitical art forms. Like, there's no way to- theme parks? I was like, we're just on a ride, everyone's moving really fast, everyone's screaming really loud together, and we're all just having fun. You know, I get that. There's sure. a there's a kind of unifying thing about being on this car with all these strangers and everyone just having these like totally involuntary reactions of joy and fear and tension and all of that. Uh, Country Bears Jamboree is a little problematic. I mean, that, that that gets into like tricky territory. But but I you know most okay. of the attractions are nice kind of bar bipartisan just uh, human experiences. Even if I feel like I'm 75 and I can't do it anymore. So I'm gonna play this audio. Okay. But before I do. Mm. I come bearing gifts from the land of Pandora. Okay, here we go. The natives and their traditions. They passed on to me two things. I said, I have two friends. And they said, you are one of the two friends, right? And I said, yes. And one of the two friends that I'm right now referencing is one of those two friends. The other friend is a different friend. He's not one of the two friends, but he's a great friend. And don't take that as any sort of backhanded slam against him. Ben. Yeah, what's up? There is a tradition among the Navi. To drink the juice of the bean every morning. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then yell out the ceremonial chant, Pow! I sheet my pans. Okay. And so I got for you, in order to drink the ceremonial juice of the bean, straight from the land of Pandora, far too intricately wrapped. <laughs> oh, Jesus, there's another fucking layer. It is wow. a mug Whoa. representing. Oh, cool. Yeah. The floating mountains. The floating mountains of Pandora. Of Pandora. It's a floating mountains mug. Oh, my God. Wow. This thing is. Ooh, it's actually substantial. It's a good mug. This it's is a also. Great mug. It's also sort of like asymmetrical. You know what I mean? It's a great mug. A weird, sort of knobbly mug. A nice ceramic mug. Now, oh David. Oh, my gosh. Mm. I, yes. know, I know you've been reckoning with your own mortality recently. Mm, not to put no you on doubt. blast. Yep. <laughs> you, you crossed into 30 recently. Ugh, I, not that recently. Oh, like... Join the New York Film Critics Circle. True, true. You know, you're, you're questioning the next stage of your life. <sighs> right. And, uh, you know, you have a house where you live. Uh-huh. But, but a house is not a home without a family. Okay. And I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, but it's maybe time to take on that added responsibility. So, David... Straight from Pandora. Oh my god. An infant of the land. <laughs> Give me this thing. Wrapped in a traditional blanket. Describe to the listener what you're holding. Hey, careful, careful, careful. Now actually I have a question. Like, do we see Avatar babies no. in the movie? No, we I don't, don't at all. We do. do we? Maybe no. in the like 
Okay, a little neck support there, please. Okay, okay thank you. So this is a, you know, a, a baby Navi. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got a little Velcro blanket. Wrapped in a blankie. Uh, wrapped in a blankie. Good yeah. point. Um, it's got a big old smile. Yeah, he's happy to see you, David. You're his new daddy. It's got a mohawk, basically, like kind of a little, little uh, straight line tough. He's a punker. Um, kind of basically looks like a baby nightcrawler, a bamf. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. he looks a little bit like a bamfer. Yeah, little tail. Yeah. Oh, it's a pretty big tail actually. Oh, it's actually wearing like a loincloth. Yeah, well, you're not going to see its baby dick. Get out of here, fucking pervert. <laughs> God. All right. Uh, it's um, beautiful. Where are you going to put that in your apartment, David? Well, in a crib. Just to buy a crib. I just saw how much this cost. And uh, I believe the word sticker shock. And then... Tax deductible, baby. <laughs> the weirdest part is... It's a terrible donation. There's a a tag, right? Uh-huh. With like a picture of like what a baby Navi like really looks like, I guess. Because it's terrifying. Does, it does not look like this. Uh, a baby Navi in real life apparently looks like Tom Sizemore. Like no shit. And like also this picture of the baby Navi has braids and this does not have it's, braids. No, because he's a punker. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Thank a lot of you. cool items at the gift shop. They also had, you could buy your own e-cron that you put on your shoulder. You could squeeze it and the wings would flap. They also have a booth where you can make your own Navi action figure that's supposed to look like you, but I don't think the technology is very good, so I didn't get it because it was very expensive and it didn't look like the people who uh, come in. Yeah, so were those our gifts? So, uh, yes, those are our we're gifts. All done? Okay. And now we're going to go to audio straight from the source, the land of Pandora. Okay, hi. Uh, this is uh, uh, Griffin Claude Bears for Dauphin Hunter Newman. Uh, I'm here live at, at Pandora, the world of Avatar, a.k.a. Avatar Land, a.k.a. Uh, my home, my new home. Uh, I'm here with with good friends, not two friends, but in fact four friends. Uh, Sophie Fader, Becca Siegel, Lisa Maligari, Scotty Craterman. Uh, I, I, I mean, God, what, what an incredible time it's been and only getting more and more incredible by the second. I am currently wearing a full Navi outfit, a bit of cultural appropriation, but the locals have accepted me as one of their own. Uh, uh, Sophie. Uh, off reference on the podcast, first time, long time. Uh, what what do you think about the land of Pandora? I think it's soothing. I think it's delightful. I think it has sounds, visuals. It smells vaguely like burnt marshmallows, and it's basically paradise in space. On a scale from one to bioluminescent, how bioluminescent would you describe Pandora at night, which is where we currently are at the time now? I would say we're about 60 miles under the ocean looking at a bioluminescent octopus. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bioluminescent octopus out of 10. Uh, Be- Becca Siegel, uh, you have been a cast member at both uh, Universal Studios and Disney. So you're an insider expert on theme parks. Uh, how, how would you rank this experientially in terms of the craft, in terms of the business operations? Well, because of my current standing, I can't speak, you know, too completely highly, but I I think it's really well done. I think it's beautiful. I think I was concerned about the lack of any kind of um, reference point for a guest because we don't like have characters that we're seeing walking around that we relate to or engage with. But I think the look of it's just so beautiful. And I too wanted to buy things. Okay. So, oh, wait, um, 
I forgot that you can't talk about it because of conflicts of interest with your career. Oh, here's a random woman walking by. Her name is Jane Person. Jane Person, what are your thoughts? Oh, it's me, Jane Person. Oh, this place is so beautiful. The colors, the lights, the sounds. I wanted to buy a make-your-own-bead necklace. Because there's a couple different beads you can use. I liked the, uh, the way the footprints on the ground are so large. I liked that there was a special drink with little bubbles in it. Okay, that, great, great transition. Thank you, Jane Person. Thank you, Becca Siegel. Lisa Melgari, the, the breakout star of this entire trip has unquestionably been the Avatar drink. Uh, can you give us a description of this drink, a.k.a. the best thing I've ever tasted in my entire life? Sure. This drink is really delightfully flavorful. It is really sweet, um, has hints of passion fruit, and has these delightful little yellow boba balls that when you when they explode in your mouth, they're really <laughs> tart and delicious. Amazing. As Scott Craterman, uh, you, you are a Disney Parks fanatic. How many times have you been to Disney World now? Uh, probably over 40. Uh, that's insane. Well... I was um, a little apprehensive about this place because Disney really hasn't um, come up with something new that I've thought has been up to real Disney standard in a long time. The the only ride that they've come out with that um, has been um, like a headliner in a long time is probably Everest, and I didn't think that was so great. And how many Navi were there on the ride Everest? Uh, ever, zero, zero Navi. Yeah, one, bad ride. Yeah, one broken Yeti for, for 15 years, 10 years, whatever it is. But um, Harry Potter at Universal has really uh, pushed Disney um, to up its game. And I really feel like, despite my apprehension, um, they knocked it out of the park. It is uh, incredibly themed. Um, they were able to do an, an amazing job taking a pro- property that nobody really cares about. Um, and Did I present that? Yeah, nobody really, nobody really cares about. And make it something that you want to be at and live in. Um, the rides are the the flights of passage ride is in particular is spectacular. Um, it's like Soren, but Soren, like I always hoped it could could be at some point, taking the technology to the next level and making an experience out of something instead of just you know flying over a landscape. Um, yeah, really impressed with the ride. Um, impressed with the land. Impressed with the land at night. Um, it's it's like this is my second time here now from you know two days ago and I still don't really feel like I've gotten a, a hang of or a feel for what it is because there's so much to look at and there's just so much detail. Well, you hear, heard it here first, uh, Avatar Land, aka the World of Pandora, at Animal Kingdom at Walt Disney World Resort is a hit. Okay, so uh, that was the audio from uh, my voyage to Avatar Land. Thanks again to my friends for agreeing to be on mic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't really agree. Great. I sort of accosted them into it. Can't wait for them to sue us. Now, David, I should acknowledge just for the listener at home because they don't know this. Now that we're transitioning out of the Avatar Land section of our episode into the mailbag section, I have removed all my ceremonial Avatar Land garb. Except and for your shirt. Yeah. Well, no, I will, uh, for the listener at home, I'm taking this off now. Okay. And all right. There it, go- Oof, there it goes. And now I'm fully naked. Watch so, David, out, I can't wear this Avatar garb anymore because we're not talking about it. No. I need something to put on my body. That's the question we've all asked. Something's better than what I'm wearing right now, which is my dumb skin. Well, I think Mac Weldon is oh. better than whatever you're wearing right now, which, to be clear, is, is not nothing. very much at all. Mac Weldon, good clothes. You know, they believe in smart design. They believe in premium fabrics. And best of all, simple shopping. Okay, but let me let me run down some things. Okay, you say this is a clothing company. Do they, yep. ma- do they make underwear? Yep. 
Really? I'm wearing Mack Weldon underwear as we speak, actually. Hey. I have been shopping at Mack Weldon ever since they first partnered up with us. Yes. They, they get, yes, they gave us a, a little a, Yeah, a no, they wanted us to try yes. it out. And I've, tri- I've gotten underwear. Yeah. I've gotten socks. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten shirts. Yeah. Polo shirts. Yeah. A few of those, which uh, I like a lot. Uh, they've also got silver underwear. They do. And shirts. Which silver they- shirts, which are... Antimicrobial. It's a, it's a new antimicrobial technology. Make things smell good. It means they don't stink. I don't like stinky stuff. And I haven't had this trouble, obviously, but if you don't like your pair of whatever it is you buy, just send it back. They'll refund. No questions asked. Or guess what? You can keep it and they'll still refund. All right. So we got to get Griffin some clothes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, right, so maybe Griffin, we'll order something. But... Yeah. Because this is an HR situation that's yeah. uh, happening in yeah, here right no, now. So I go mean, to Mac Weldon. What, what's their fastest delivery time? Do they deliver within like five or 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah. So go to MacWeldon.com. Yeah. Because right now I'm getting cold. <laughs> You're going to go on and there's going to be a box for a promo code. Yeah. And here's what you got to do. MacWeldon.com. Don't leave the box blank. Put in blank. You got to you gotta put a blank in there. Promo code blank. B-L-A-N-K. That is going to get you 20% off Mac Weldon stuff. And Honestly, I have become a genuinely big fan. MacWeldon.com, promo code blank. Now, let me rustle in here for a second. Let me, hold on one second. Oh, what's in here? Oh my God, it's a mailbag. <laughs> We're going to do some listener mail. And I want to start off with a request that we got because we had alluded to in a recent episode our pitch for Men in Black 2 that we had come up with. Yeah, we cooked this up at a trivia night. Solidified our friendship. One time. It did. It was an early, uh, yeah. Hashtag the two friends competitive advantage. Okay, Ben's staring it into his mug. It's a good quality mug. It just looks cool. Yeah. It's Um, like drinking out of rocks. Yeah, floating rocks. Yeah. Uh, And then we referenced it again recently, and it came out. I thought we had talked about it on the podcast, but we've never given our pitch before. So I promised we were going to do it in the Justice League episode on the Reddit, and then forgot to do that. So I promised in the Reddit that we were going to do it on this episode. So so let's let's give now our Men in Black Two pitch. Okay, do you remember it? I remember it vividly. Great, because I've repitched it, and I told you this. I repitched I it to Barry Josephson, producer of the Men in Black trilogy. Right, and he was like, "That's what we should have done. That's what we should have done." Okay, yeah. yeah. David and I were sitting at the bar of Videology. Men in Black Two was on TV. We we're talking about what a bummer that movie was, yep. and we got into the central kind of Gordian knot. Of making a Men in Black sequel. Of course, because your key problem, of course, is Men in Black ends with Tommy Lee Jones making this very emotional decision to leave the Men in Black and return to his like teenage love. And then Will Smith, and Agent J, memory, right, yeah. sees on the National Enquirer, which right. we now know is the one legitimate newspaper, right. man awakes from multi-decade coma, right. and he feels goes back good. to his wife, right. seems happy, and you want him to be happy. Also, he's with Linda Fiorentino playing Agent L. That's Will Smith, Will Smith is with, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So that's the sequel that's set up. But the problem is you can't make a Men in Black 2 without Tommy Lee Jones, but yeah, you don't so, want to disrupt the happiness that Tommy Lee Jones has earned. I right. would say deserves by the end of that first Exactly. Movie. So what Men in Black 2 decided to do was there's some problem, like some old alien comes who only Tommy Lee Jones can deal with. Yes. Will Smith, uh, Agent J, Agent J yeah. goes to get him back and like uses this like memory, put her back in her to put his memories back. He has back. to essentially make him miserable again. But not only that, and it's only dealt with offhand. Yeah. His wife, like their marriage fell apart. Right. Off screen. Right. It, the, it, when he finds Kay, he's working at a post office. He's grumpy as fuck. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm divorced. My wife let me. And it's just like, this is a bummer. It is a bummer. And it's more like, you know, I'm fine with the idea that um, his life, you know, even though he'd forgotten about it in the Men in Black, sort of 
was like a splinter in his mind. Sure. And like, but like that's got to be dealt with seriously, not as just an obvious like, well, we needed him back. So, right. Yeah. And it was a big thing that that neither of them want to work with Linda Florentino again. Fiorentino. Sorry. I don't think anyone. I mean, look. Yeah. That's all rumor yes. or whatever, but certainly she is not in Men in Black 2 or 3. The rumor I have heard and I... Or it, really any movies. Right. The rumor yeah. I've heard and it is not from the close source to Men in Black who I've already referenced. This yeah. was just a thing I remember hearing on the interwebs. Because I read an early draft of Men in Black 2 where she had one scene and Will Smith said, sure. are you sure you don't want to come back out in the field? And she said, no, I prefer being here in the, the autopsy. In the oh, morgue, right, right, right? Right, right, right. And they apparently said, we won't do it if she has even one scene. Wow. They did not like working with her. Okay. She's fantastic in Men in Black. Unbelievable. Should have won the it's Oscar. A absolutely wonderful performance. <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible performance. Um, but we were like, okay, is there a way to make a movie that's still a K and J team up that isn't such a bummer that doesn't have to go to such sweaty lengths to get him back on the force? Right. Right. And the answer we came up with was top of the movie, pretty similar opening to what we have. Will Smith's got a new partner. It's just not the same. It's not the same magic. His right? new partner is uh, Warburton. In the, in the in, movie. In the movie, yeah. I would maybe go with someone who's more dull than Dolt, if that makes sense. Sure, fine. Their but you know, Warburton's kind of cute in Men in Black, too. He's cute. Nothing I think he's, he's not bad in it, okay, right? Okay, so right. Yeah, so we're but in it's, it. It's just not the same, We're right? in it. He misses Smith's K. Got he's partner. got the picture on his desk. He misses K, and he hasn't been able to get back in touch with him. Yeah. Ooh, weird alien crash landing, much like in Men in Black 1, when the Edgar bug crashes onto Edgar's farm, and Siobhan Fallon as Vincent D'Onofrio's wife, is sort of the first-hand witness yeah, yeah, who yeah. they have to interview. Yeah, yeah. They go, you have to go out to the countryside. You yeah, have to yeah. go interview this guy who saw the alien firsthand. Who's the guy? Whose property did it land on? Well, it's a kind, retired man with ding, his ding, wife ding, who he's ding, in love ding, with. Ding, 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 ding. Tommy Lee Jones. Boom. But he's fully neuralized. Uh-oh. Doesn't remember anything. They don't know each other. Doesn't believe aliens exist. So here's what you still other have. Other people reported on it Agent J is like, what about this alien thing? He's like, "Eh, probably a light show, fireworks. I don't think it was really an alien. Instead of the dynamic in Men in Black 1, where Tommy Lee Jones is the mentor, seen it all. Yes. He's taking Will Smith through things. Will Smith's kind of the funny guy. Yeah. Now you flipped it. Yeah. So that they both get to do something new. And here's the thing. Tommy Lee Jones still gets to be curmudgeonly. Right. Right. But in a new way. Because Men in Black 2. Will Smith still gets to be fun and kind of energetic, right. but in a new way. And and there's a real kind of emotional charge to, here's this guy with the person he loves and has been missing, but this guy doesn't even remember him. You know? Yeah. It's like 50 first dates. <laughs> He's got to make Kay fall in love with him again so they can be best friends. Right. And you end the movie on some note maybe of them like meeting up to get coffee. And Jay's still in the agency, and Kay's now a new friend who doesn't remember their whole history, but they become friends again. Right. And, and they're whole. And Men in Black 2, they try to flip it again to make, like, Will the straight man well, and Tommy the funny guy. It's this amazing thing where I read this interview, because Men in Black 2 came after Wild Wild West. Correct. I read this interview with Sonnenfeld, mm-hmm. where he was like, you know what? And this is between those two movies. Yeah. It, looking back on Wild Wild West. I whiffed on that one. I, I don't think it worked. And I think yeah. one of the problem was one of the problems was it was two straight men. Yeah. Like, Will Smith and Kevin Klein both kind of had to play the straight man role. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, the dynamics were all off. Mm-hmm. And I won't make that mistake again. And he makes the mistake again, again in Men in Black 2. It's the exact same mistake. And the other problem is he wants Tommy Lee Jones to be the dumb one. So they make it, oh, brain damage because the denuralization. He's kind of just like an idiot in that movie. I think it's funnier to have him be a curmudgeon. Yeah. You know, still be high status in that way because he doesn't respect He's Will Tommy Smith. Tommy Lee Jones. But now he just doesn't believe in aliens. Yeah. 
So that's a great movie. It would have made $500 million in one best picture. That's our Men in Black 2 would have ruled. And then Men in Black 3 is just like... Whatever. It's like going for broke yeah. in a way, but it's so forgettable. Yeah. It, but it has this like much bigger idea where this like time travel and the yeah. 60s and Will Smith's dad yeah. played by Mike Coulter. Correct. And like... Luke Cage himself. One of, the, like, one of the most handsome men alive. Extremely handsome. I did a pilot with that guy once and it's kind of stunning how good looking is he Is he nice? It's so fucking nice. Yeah. I bought. I, yeah. I just believe it. Yeah. Um... So that would be our pitch, and I think it's a really good pitch. I just think you cannot undo. You you can't just go back to the status quo just because you think you need to. Agreed, and and it gets into my RoboCop thing. You don't want to see progress receded in a sequel, even if you want to get back to the neutral position of what worked in the okay. first one. It's a bummer to the audience to see you take steps back. So here are some questions. Great question time, baby. Ben Walker asks. Okay, is Ben Hosley? The great Ben Walker asking about the great Ben Hosley pointing to Ben. Who we haven't really introduced. Oh, you mean producer Ben? The Ben Deucer, the Poet Laureate, the Haas, the Tiebreaker, Birthday Benny, Soaking Wet Benny, White Hot Benny. I like Soaking Wet Benny. The Fuckmaster, not Professor Crispy, the Fart Detective, the Meat Lover, Mr. Positive, <laughs> Mr. Hositive, the Haas. <sighs> the guy you would wish a Hello Fennel. Yeah. Graduate to certain tolls over the course of different miniseries, such as Kylo Ben, Producer Ben Kenobi, Ben Night Shyamalan, Ben Sate, Say Ben Anything, Ailey Ben's with a dollar sign, Warhaws, Perdue Bane, and B-19, the Fennel Maker. <laughs> That's right. Yes. So, is Ben Hosley still a close personal friend of noted cord waner? Cord waner? I don't know. That's the word he uses. Okay. Yeah. Dan Lewis. I am so happy that I forgot to include that one in the nickname list, because I, I, I set it up pretty well. Close now, personal friend of Dan Lewis. I am. Yeah. Dan and I are really close. A cord wiener is a shoemaker who makes shoes from new leather. So there you wow, go. Well, good, good word, word, Paul. Yeah. Uh, does, does Dan Lewis have any phantom thread gossip this upcoming movie? Um, yeah, so Dan and I text pretty regularly. Okay. Uh, Gossip-wise, I mean, you know. Because he's retiring from acting. You yeah, said and he you hasn't had really announced what he's coming. doing next. Yeah, no, I do have exclusive. Okay, so I just want to say this. The shooting process was a nightmare because they didn't do it on a soundstage. They did it actually in like this old like house <laughs> yeah. and it was like really tight quarters and uh -huh. like they were sleeping on top of each other he said it's it was like a nightmare film. yeah yeah it's just not fun yeah. sure not a good experience and let's, let's be honest like dan's sort of doing it for fun you know he's not someone who really wants to put it all on the line for his work so when when there's this lack of luxury i want to remind you like, guys that we have a lot of questions we want to answer okay well all right you're right <laughs> you're right. right let's go all so, questions no bits no bits no bits dan is quitting acting right, right? And he's actually going to start a podcast. What? You're going to produce the new Dan yeah, no, Lewis Dan and I have been kind of like working on like different concepts. Uh, I'm going to be sort of like on mic producing his podcast. Okay. And I thought, I don't know if this, if this is cool because I know we have so much stuff going on. Do in you this have episode. a clip of the podcast? I do. Oh my God. Dave, we got to listen to a little bit of the Dan Just Lewis a little podcast. Bit. Just a little no bit. bits, but we got to listen to a little bit of the Dan Lewis podcast. Okay. This is uh, Ira Glass, uh, This American Life. Uh, this week on the show, uh, stories of uh, second chances. Dan, no, People we who, can't. This is, this is someone else's show. 
well, I've already spent uh, 18 months uh, researching uh, Ira Glass. I'm, I'm deep in character. I can't not, I can't pivot like this. I commit hard to things. Uh, no bits, press mats. Wait. Okay, so yeah, we're back. Ben, uh, wow. so wait, so the, he's both no bits pro smiths. Yeah. Which, you know, good for him. Yeah. And he's, he's going deep on glass. Yeah. He's so deep on glass that he can't get out. Ben, that's the first 30 seconds of the first episode. Where's the podcast go from there? You immediately shut him down. Well, he does like five different stories. He's all of the contributors to the episodes. Wow, that guy's a good actor. Yeah. Okay, no bits. Next question. Uh, sorry, uh, my friend in Britain just sent the news that his baby was born. How do you have friends in Britain? Very good question. I was waiting all day for this news. I'm very happy for him. Congratulations. Shout out to okay. Ollie. Shout out to his daughter. Well, you just had a baby as well, so, you know, even Steven's. <laughs> and it's staring at me with its felt <laughs> dead eyes. Next question. All right. So, next question. How about this? From Santa Got That Jingle Jangle. <laughs> AKA Tyrone Warner is cool. on Twitter. What would you consider the best and the worst episode of the show? Hashtag blankies, hashtag twisted, hashtag waiting for that Richard Kelly series. Keep waiting. Uh, I yeah. mean, maybe we'll do maybe someday. someday. I'd um, love him to make a fourth movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause even by our standards, like a three episode mini series. The shortest career we've ever talked about doing was four. And like, like Richard Kelly's career, it's like he made this cult movie that was yeah. a hit. Then he made this completely bonkers blank check movie. That was a flop. And then right. he made this other kind of bonkers blank check, yeah. but like low, Studio, no money movie yeah. that was a flop that Cameron Diaz famously gave the twist ending away to at Comic-Con. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that was that, you know, right. sort of excised from Hollywood. There are some people who uh, listeners suggest we cover where it's like, this kind of isn't the right time to cover them because yeah. we're at the middle of the story. The narrative isn't really interesting enough right now because it's about what they do next. Um, Richard Kelly, we could do at some point. Well, maybe if he comes back out of retirement. What was the the original I think he's question? He's working on it. I mean, I've I heard. So. I don't love his movies, but I think he's interesting. That's an interesting guy to have out in the world making movies, even if I'm not a huge fan of those movies. You know, he's mixing it up. He's catfishing us. Um. Yeah. Well, agreed. What was the? Was that the first part of the question? No. So the question is, what's the best and worst episodes of the oh. show? I, you know what I go back to? More of even, like a fave, least yeah. fave, obviously. When I have to recommend uh, episodes to people, and the one I actually re-listen to the most and get the most enjoyment out of, I think is Judging the Judge. That's interesting. And part of it is, it's the Rosetta Stone because it was the episode that sort of started what the podcast would eventually turn into. Because we were still in the middle of the Star Wars days, but that was our first time covering like a movie, an episode, and talking about the career you know, trajectory in relation to the film. And I just think that episode has really fucking good bits on it. I mean, I that's interesting. I mean, it does. Yeah. I mean, it's got look, it's got some good bits. Yeah. Um, and the but, theme song, I still think, is my proudest moment. I mean, ever. the theme song was amazing. But like, I also feel like that's sort of our like at sort of where we first figured out what the that's show what would say. be. Yeah. So maybe I'm sentimental about it. I, there's sentimental, but yeah. I do think we've like done great episodes since then well don't pat yourself on the back uh my, my personal favorite episode is the matrix episode i listen back to it all the time i listen back to all our episodes like plenty of times I know that's our person but what is your least favorite amistad just because it's just i think like, we just didn't know what you know to but do. i think we do a bunch of hopkins with a watering can material that's okay in the middle <laughs> yeah there was also Amistad's, you know what actually is my least favorite episode no you finish though there was a bit i did in the amistad episode that was so bad ben you cut it out for my protection Yes. Do you remember that? I do. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, no, I remember that very clearly. I uh, literally was like, <laughs> no, actually stop. 
and Ben cut that out. <laughs> like and we were I like double down. I did it like that. three times. Right, because yeah. you kept thinking. I think like, oh, well, we're doing the a classic. The bit is you thing. telling me not to do the bit. Where, but I was actually like, Griffin, this actually just won't fly. And right. here's that clip. Yeah. <laughs> also, now saying that will make people imagine a much worse bit than what I actually did. Well, it wasn't great. <laughs> it wasn't great. But <laughs> if you imagine the worst thing I could have said in an Amistad episode, it's probably much worse than what I actually said. Um, but here's uh, my least favorite episode is, and I just saw it scrolling by, is the podcastic too, which is, I feel like when we had not, like it was like, yeah. it's our sequel to Judging the Judge because right. it was our second like non-Star Wars episode. It was a sophomore slump. But it really is like everything we shouldn't do, which is like way too much explaining, like too, we're trying to tackle to too many movies, movies yeah. which is like a bad idea. Get we never should have done that. Yeah. And like, just kind of like a lot of yelling about yeah. comic book shit. Like, it's just like what I like quickly was like, now nah, this isn't, this isn't our thing. The most you want to cover in one episode is three Hotel Transylvania movies and no more than that. That's the most. All right. So that was, th okay. those are good answers, right? Yeah. Um, oh, oh, this is actually, we should talk about this. All right. This is also on Twitter. Andy Germuga. Okay. I'm going to get to the emails. Don't worry. Cool. Um, he'd love to hear our official responses to the JJ Abrams news because yeah. we did have our Trevorrow pod where we were speculating like, oh, Ryan Johnson. Right, that he would uh, sign on to Direct 9. We even said in that episode, JJ has already kind of said he doesn't want to do it. But mm -hmm. that's the old JJ Fast one because they offered him Force Awakens early and he said, nope, I would never direct a Star Wars movie. Then he signed on. Uh, right. When, when Trevorrow was, was ousted, he was like, I don't think I want to go back to Star Wars. And then he signed on. It now sort of makes more sense because I think the Ryan Johnson trilogy thing was brewing, that he wouldn't want to do nine. You know, because he was setting up this trilogy that's since been announced well, that's going to be its own independent. And also, yeah, my guess is, you know, this fucking making one of these things is yeah. such a slog. Right. That I think it just would have been too demanding or maybe he just to didn't back have back. the idea right. to do it back to back. So, Or maybe Disney was like, would you like to? You know, I wonder yeah. who, I mean, I'm sure Ryan had some kind of a pitch of like. I also heard whispers that, that JJ uh, had some FOMO about not doing eight. Well, I mean, he was sort of up front about yeah. like. You know, I felt like with seven, we needed to ease people back in. Right. And that's why I feel like it was a little more slavish to the original. Right. And then I read Ryan's script for eight and I was like, this is great. I would love to do something like this. And also know? that that seven was very well received. And I think some of his nerves about how the yeah. high stakes Look, poker you're playing by making a new Star Wars People rag movie. on him, but he had uh, an incredibly difficult task yeah. with episode seven. Complicated by the fact that that movie had all kinds of production troubles right. that were not his fault. That were just... Right. And uh, he, you know, I think he did a great job. I think that movie is wonderful. Now that have been said, J.J. Abrams is notoriously better at starting stuff than continuing or concluding things. Right. So yeah. minor bit of trepidation there. He's always, that's always where you start to stumble. His <sighs> you know initial what? world building, his, his layout yeah, of no, the characters, I, I know what you're space, saying. all that stuff's I, always good with him. I know what you're saying. You know what? Um, I agree with you, but it's just like, to me, it's like the upgrade from Trevor to Abrams yeah, is so phenomenal that I can't even think oh, like, yeah. oh, what if there's, there's, Brad Bird, there's blah, a great blah, blah, sense whatever, of relief, you know, but, but I'll say this, you know, the, a lot of the modern directors, kind of young up and coming guys who are getting pulled into the studio system. When people ask us if we do blank checks on them, it's like, we've talked about this blank check doesn't really exist in the same way anymore. Cause it's like, oh, if you have a decent movie, you get a big blockbuster, but it's so well, managed. Now the blank checks that we're identifying, it's more like, yeah, the studio gave you a ton of money right. and to make a brandy, a brand movie, right. not a brandy movie. Right. Because we're not yet at uh, the boy's mind, sure. uh, cinematic universe, but uh, but um, you know, and then you do something weird. But the difference between like Quaron doing Azkaban and then getting to make Children of Men and Gravity versus like David Yates doing four Harry Potter movies and then getting to make Tarzan and Fantastic Beasts, you know, it's like he's just staying within the tentpole kind of journeyman thing. Yeah, 
Um, but the Ryan Johnson news is really fascinating because that feels like as much of a blank check as anyone has gotten within these types of rigid cinematic universes so far. Right. Who knows what those films will end up being, but if they're allowed to, out of whole cloth, create a new trilogy, that's really exciting. Next question. Uh, yeah, so thank you, Andy. Uh, he also wants to know how Andy. we think WB will panic after Justice League. And we talk about, we should, we'll just briefly mention we were way off on our Justice League the most box off office predictions, not yeah. just about Justice League, but I think I said the star was going to Delgo it up. Star did fine. We thought Star was going to make like two. It did nine. It made like 10 and it got an A plus cinema score. We thought Wonder was going to do 12. It did 28. <laughs> Wonder, I believe, has made $4 billion at time uh, of recording. My man, Tremblay. <laughs> Tremblay has been crowned King of America. <laughs> it's fucking nuts it's nuts Wonder's gonna make like 200 million domestic you know it's partly I think also we are really underrating Julia yeah you know people are ready for her again yeah although it's weird because she she had a couple I mean like even Wonder's gonna greatly outgross Eat Pray Love which was her sort of comeback movie after being gone for like five years and the ones since then haven't burnt up the box office I think it's the right time I think it's the right role for her I think there's a generational thing to like Girls who grew up with Julia now being mothers and being able to take their kids to see a Julia Roberts movie and all that, all that sort of stuff. Nothing but respect for my man Tremblay. Anyway, and as to WB and Justice League, I really just They're don't panicking. know. They're but panicking, what but now. what they need to do is not panic and just make good movies. Be like, look, we've got our command coming. Hopefully, that'll be okay. But more importantly, we have Wonder Woman two coming. That's yeah. in like production. Yeah. And, like, making good movies is way more important than anything else here. Look, here's my advice to Warner Brothers. They got, like, 20 things they've announced at one point or another they're working on in the E D M E C U O M D C. No, fuck off. All right, whatever, okay. right? Next question. What I'm saying is they should look at those 20 scripts, and whatever script is best, they should make that movie. They should make movies that have good scripts. Okay. Uh, Ryan question. Rosendahl asks, has any of the miniseries changed your opinion of a director? I feel like we all pretty much like these directors going in. Yes. Shyamalan a little bit. I would. I had really written him off as a joke when yeah. we started doing him. Yes. And, you know, even though I still don't like a lot of his movies, I was yeah. like, no, I forgot. Like, I forgot this guy is, like, for real. Right. It's just that he made a lot of weird decisions. Individual movies certainly have changed my mind on, you know? But, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know a uh, whole cloth, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe someday. That'd be nice. I'd love to completely change my opinion on director, although it'd be a bummer if it was realizing the director sucked, who uh, I thought I loved. Right, but it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened I think yet. I'm still basically, apart from that, like, you know. Yeah. Like, um, the second half of the Cameron Crowe series is a bummer, but I rewatched Jerry Maguire with the family over Thanksgiving. God, does that movie work. Perfect movie. Ambassador as, of Quan. As you know, I like that movie. Yeah. Ambassador of Quan. Um, uh, my Dear Wormwood. At my dear Wormwood, okay. Tobit asks for your, uh, I'm going to provide mine, okay. but your definitive Muppet movie ranking. Here's his, okay. which I wildly disagree with. Okay. Or maybe it's backwards. <laughs> well, I, I saw this ranking. I think he's going in descending order from, from best to worst. Well, then his from best to worst is the Muppets. Uh-huh. Muppets from Space. Muppets Christmas Carol. Uh, Muppet, uh, Great Muppet Caper. Muppets Take Manhattan. Muppet Treasure Island. Mupp um, Muppets Most Wanted. The Muppet movie. The then, Muppet movie is at the bottom. Then maybe it has to be ascending. Also, I mean, Muppets from Space is at the bottom of everyone's list. It's Any honorable bad. American, it's a bad movie. Yeah. So then maybe it is ascending. But what's yours? My order, I'll say it, it shifts a lot and it shifted even recently. Okay. okay? I oscillate between uh, the Muppet movie and Muppets Take Manhattan being number one. I'd say as of right now, I probably put the Muppet movie number one. I put Muppets Take Manhattan number two. 
I put Muppet Christmas Carol number three. My most controversial opinion is I like Caper less than most hardcore Muppet fans. Then I would put, I, I think at the present moment, I maybe put Muppets Most Wanted a hair before the Muppets. Sure. I think because m- Muppets Most Wanted is more of like a Muppet movie. And it's a, it, yeah. I, Rather which I than like adjacency. It was less well received because people were more into or had gotten accustomed to the Jason Siegel format. And uh, the, yeah, Muppets Most Wanted is like a pure outright Muppet movie. It has some really good fucking songs in it too. Uh, and Constantine's a great character. Uh, so I would do that. Then I would put Great Muppet Caper. Then I would put Muppet Treasure Island. And then I would put in Dead Dead Last Muppets from Space. So mine would be number one Muppet movie. Uh huh. I think. I just think that that's a special movie. I agree. Uh, then number two Muppets Christmas Carol, which is very important in my childhood. And and you know what doesn't get and enough very very credit? Good, really think. well directed. Very be- beautifully directed. Actually looks amazing. Brian I Henson, think. you know, doesn't have a lot of the sort of creativity and vision right. of his father, but as a technical director, Very he good. is a better filmmaker. It's an atmospheric movie, like genuinely. Yeah. And Michael Caine's pretty darn the good. The sets in are so fucking good. The in sets that are film. Uh, it's beautifully terrific. shot. I also just love rules, the, yes. I just love the bit with Gonzo playing Dickens. I just think that's funny. Like, I do too. To this day. And then I guess and the I songs would, are great in that movie. Then I guess I would go like take Manhattan caper, like three, okay. four. I like both of those. I, I haven't watched either of them since I was Rewatch a kid. Rewatch Take Manhattan Rules. Yeah, no, I think that's yeah. my three. Then four, and then, and then I guess I'll put the Seagull one fifth and Most Wanted six. Those ones are sort of just whatever to me. And then, and I'm then, a grown up. And then, oh, like, get out of here. I just am. I'm sorry about that stuff. I don't. Eat I'm not even turd. trying to be a dick. A it's turd. like and then Treasure Island in space. They're at the bottom. Treasure Island's fun. It's fun. It's All fun. those movies except for space are basically space, good. It sucks. Space is rough. Yeah. I saw that in theaters. I'll say this. Uh, uh, Filmstruck, currently, they recently put up a collection of like uh, Jim Henson short films, like his experimental live-action short films and animated short films he made when he was young, pre-Muppets. Yeah, okay. And also some of his later TV specials, which makes me think that they're maybe putting together Criterion non-Muppet works of Jim Henson box set, which I would love. Yeah. But I rewatched those the other night. What a, what a good guy that was. What an interesting artist that guy was. To be working artist. in such a mainstream popular space. Uh, man, I like that guy. Alejandro Villarreal, old fan. The great Alejandro Villarreal. Um, asks, what's your favorite performance of 2017? That's question one. Okay. Let me, I got to consult my list. So give me question two as well at the same time. What is the performance with the most ham with a dash of paprika? From 2017? Yeah. Most performance. My favorite 2017 performance. Yeah. Is, is Willem Dafoe. That's my performance of the year. Mm-hmm. That's the performance that clicked with me. And I, there's a lot of performances I love this year, like a lot. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that more on the Blankies episode next year. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that I think that performance is like astonishing. Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a, a crazy one out there. Sure. And it's crazy because it's a movie I don't really love. I certainly love it less than other people, but it's kind of the performance I keep on coming back to. I, I think Patrick Stewart's pretty fucking phenomenal in Logan. That's a great performance. That performance kind of like floored me. Top 10 of the year, but it's like amazing. Yeah, I, I see. I think it's like upper echelons. I think that's one of the yeah, best. But, all right, all right. But have you considered something? What? I don't even know if I should say this. And I just noticed that Ben is Googling Assassin's Creed IMDb page, <laughs> which is a wonderful thing that he just did. Say it, say it. Logan is kind of a secret Western. I know. I know. David, you can't say that on mic because the Star Whackers might come after us. The Illuminati might come after us. 
Yeah, it is. Yes. Secretly. Shh. On the DL, Logan's a Western. Uh, I'm not crazy about that film. Me neither. I I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I actually think it's great, except for the R-rated stuff. I Interesting. Think, I think the, the, and like, I don't mind that it's rated yeah. R per se, but it's like, I think like anytime it's sort of, try, it's a little extra about like the violence and the stuff. Right. Especially the sort of barn, uh, you know, the house sequence in the yeah. middle of the movie. Yeah. I, I'm just like, it kind of takes me out of it and I, it becomes like just sort of a little, it just seems like it's trying too hard in it. Sure. Like, I like the world that yeah. it has going, like the weird sort of like crappy future. Yeah. And I love the like weird things like those self-driving trucks and like, yeah. you know, like the, this whole world that's just sort of like automated and but like in a kind of lame and boring way. I just think that movie should be an hour shorter. It's it's a bit too long because it, it feels like it has no narrative propulsion because a lot of that movie is Logan refusing the call. It's her asking him to take her to this place where the kids are and him going, it doesn't exist. Shut up, shut up. And then some people chase them and they go a little further, but he still doesn't want to take her there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you compare that to Children of Men, which is a movie it's very similar to. Yeah. Where even though Clive Owen's character doesn't believe that this ship exists, he keeps moving forward trying to take her there because that's his job, you know? And Logan, I think, kind of just spins its own wheels for a large section of it. But the, the Patrick Stewart performance is one of the most heartbreaking sort of dementia performances I've ever seen because I think he balances the lucidity with the sort of uh, absence really, really well, which makes it very heartbreaking when he has these moments where he's right there and then Agreed. you see it slip in his eyes. I, agree. I just walked out of that movie and I was like, God, right, that guy's he's such a fantastic fucking actor. Yeah. I kind of want to, all right, well, what's your, what's the hammiest performance of the year? Hammiest, and to me, that means good. Yeah. Ham with a dash of paprika means good. So Agreed. I'm going to speak up for, I mean, an obvious answer to this, and you probably haven't seen this movie yet, uh? is uh, Old Men in Darkest Hour, which is like absurd. Yes, right. But like, the he's, secret he's of him on that sure. Yes, but actually, the secret of that performance is the shit he nails is the quiet stuff. That's why that performance is actually uh-huh. good rather than just like typical thundering. You sure. Know. Uh, to me, the best ham paprika performance of the year is Jake Gyllenhaal in Stronger, which is this very sort of like big and yeah. kind of a little obvious and like a type we've seen before. The like Boston, you know, schmuck who's like. Yeah. Eh. But uh, is like still like really good and authentic. Yeah. But like at times you're like, okay, Jake, you know, we get it. You got the accent. Uh, I'll say uh, my favorite, I think, is Robert Pattinson in Good Time. That's, I mean, I think that's a wonderful performance. But that's a very big performance. It's taking huge yeah. swings. <laughs> that's such a, that's such a good The entire movie is full tilt, but I think it always feels like a real fucking guy. I like that movie a lot. Yeah, I do too. I love that Yeah, that's an incredible performance. Uh, I'm going to throw a hot take. Performance, I think, could have used a little more ham. Yeah. Too much paprika. I want a little more ham on it. Yeah. Elizabeth Banks and Power Rangers. I was sitting there the whole time going, Liz, you can go bigger. She she could have gone bigger. She's big in that movie, but... Big. She's that, big. She could go huge and it would it would work. The movie could support that. Um... Whereas I think Cranston is actually kind of in a weird, in a weird, in the pocket there. Well, he wins my best supporting actor. He's so good. Well, you know what he is awful in? His last five I've heard that. (sighs) That is a stinky performance. We'll get to that later. All right. Uh, I'm Laugh Alone asks, have I ever been recognized in public? Uh, This he's asking Ben and I, because obviously you get recognized in public. And if yes, because of the pod and if yes, how did it feel? Yes. And it's very strange. Almost always though, it's at like at Toronto, I got recognized a bunch. Uh-huh. And if I go to rep screenings once in a while, cause that's where the movie nerds are. It's very weird. And ben, you've gotten some, you've gotten some shout outs, right? Yeah. You've gotten I, some Hello Fennels. I've gotten uh, definitely some Hello Fennels at comedy shows. And mm. then I feel like all of your film 
friends. Sure. Oh, are, sure. Right. Of course. They they're like me. producer Ben. And they're like always. Yeah, they're always yeah. like enthusiastic in a way where I'm. I'm very honored and yeah, it's nice. I'll say this: I've maybe gotten like physically recognized more for the podcast than the tech. Really? I get stopped a lot for podcast things. Or even like there was the time I think I told you I went to the the uh, Ocean's 8 rap party where I didn't know anybody. I brought Romilly because I have my two lines in Ocean's 8 that are going to get cut out when it comes out 18 months from now. Uh-huh. And I like didn't know anyone there. Like none of the crew people came up and talked to me. The like two people who came up and talked to me were like, hey, you're Griffin Newman from Blank Check, right? Wow. It's in always a room great. with like Sandra Bullock and Anne Hathaway. They were like, you're the, you're the Blank Check guy, right? Yeah. Uh, and I got stopped a lot it's, of Comic Con like for blank check shit. It's always Blankies. it's always very sweet, and sweet. I just I think it's great. Keep doing what you're doing, baby. Interesting. What are your pet peeves while watching a movie? Asks the Mon Gang. <sighs> I, I mean, uh, cell phones on is, is well, a nightmare for me. If I see someone with a cell phone screen, I can't stop looking at it. Yeah, I have to too. move me seats. Too. I get really I get out. upset on two levels where it's yes. like one, I'm mad that they're doing it. And two, I'm also just mad that it's distracting me. It's and like it a physiological like response. Your eyes go towards a light in a dark room, you know, so you can't ignore it. And I also hate the, uh, the statement they're making. I like, you just paid fucking $15, just slapped it down on the barrel, and now no, you're sitting here and statement. immediately taking your phone out and playing All right, like, so we have League a classic pet peeve. Uh, what else do I hate? The, I don't, that's like the, the... Yeah, honestly, I'm fine. I mean, I like an aisle. I know you like the middle. I like that's a, not really a, a pet peeve. That's more just a They call me Patricia Heaton because you can find me in the middle. Yeah. Um, I I don't like it when you can hear the train. Sure, the Angelica. Yeah, or the Angelica yeah, right. yeah, that kind of takes me out a little bit. I'm, I'm gonna throw one out, which might be surprising, just because I think most people don't care, but it actually annoys me when people leave the theater before the movie ends. Yeah, that drives me crazy. Unless, I mean, look, if we're if we're in the credits, fine, you can leave. That's but when okay. people are like, "Oh, the film seems to be wrapping up," let me leave. No, this isn't a baseball stadium. No. All right. Stephen Hofford asks, have you tried poutine? And if so, yes or no? Yeah, I fucking love it. I spend a lot of time in Toronto. Right, because you go to Toronto every year. At least once a year, if not twice. I have good friends who live there. And I'm all about poutine. And I'll get it anywhere I can get it. I mean, because like, you know, in, in Canada, they got like poutine at like Burger King or whatever. So if I'm at like a nice place with my friends, I'll get poutine. But if it's like three o'clock in the morning, Burger King's open, I'll get some Burger King poutine. Burger King poutine. I'm all about poutine. Burger King poutine. Well, I had never had poutine until I went to Toronto last this year for the festival. Brag. And like one day I was like, well, shit, I got to I got to do it. Got to get the poop. And I did it. I was and I was uh, FaceTiming with Joanna because we were, you know, chatting because I was away. Mm-hmm. And so and I was just sitting there like shoveling. It's good. I mean, it's obviously, excellent. it's like French yeah. fries with gravy and curds. Yeah, the three best nice. things. Yeah. Uh, but I, the whole time I was like, man, I'm going to poop everywhere after this, right? You yeah. Know? And I didn't. That, it's actually... So it's shout got, out to that poutine. It's got some uh, structural integrity yeah, to it. Yeah, fine. Um, can, I, can I read a couple here? Just speed round a couple? Okay. Okay. You're curating now. Uh, the, I, I just I got three here that I saw because they were responses to me okay, retweeting the thing, so they're go not going to show up in your thing. Uh, James Ward, the great James Ward. Opinions on Rotten Tomatoes becoming the go-to metric for films quality. I think we both got the same take on this, so I want to get it out here quickly. Fine. Because I feel like we I'm both sure I agree. Just say it. offhandedly slammed it and people want to know why. Okay. The problem is that Rotten Tomatoes only tells you how many people think a movie is watchable. It's okay. A decent best. time. Yes. So you could get a film that has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes where everyone goes, it's a 6 out of 10. Here's, here's how it goes for me. Well, yes, exactly. Metacritic's so, a much better system because it's an average right. so, based off of giving everyone's so, review a yeah. score from one to a hundred. So I belong to 
uh, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. Yeah. And I submit my reviews, which is, I think, what they prefer. Yeah. Know, rather than them thinking it. So with Rotten Tomatoes, I will enter my review and say if it was fresh or rotten. Right. Usually an easy distinction. Yeah. With Metacritic, they ask me and I like to, you know, tell them the number. Sure. Like give them a number rating. This is kind of a 75. Yeah. And yeah, Metacritic's a lot better system for that reason. They also are, you know, they're very picky about who they include. Not that Rotten Tomatoes shouldn't be, you shouldn't be more broad. It's fine. But that's the thing. Like Rotten Tomatoes is just giving you a consensus. And and something like Lady Bird, which now is the best reviewed movie in the history of Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is a phenomenal film. Yeah, but what's more important is it has a 94 on Metacritic. That's crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. Anyway. But, it, but it speaks to the fact that, like, that's a movie that's hard to dislike. I agree. Whereas most we, great movies are divisive. That's our takedown. Take okay. Okay, speed round two more. If you could pick one company to make a Griffin Arthur toy, what would it be? That's your question. That's that, Hence why I'm reading it right now. I, I don't want to slam anything because there's still the companies that are maybe producing things, although there seem to be some speed bumps in getting Arthur merchandise out there. There's a company called Super 7 I really like that does like weird uh, retro stuff. Yeah. So they have a line called Reaction Figures where they make modern day toys that look like the old 70s Star Wars figures with the kind of crude, okay, rigid so that's sculpting. What you want. I, would like, I would like that. You're that's a big my nerd. Sh- What's your I'm other a one? Big old nerd. When will we, you be covering Martin Brass, PTA, and most importantly, Frank Oz? So I'm using this as a catch all for all the questions that are just when are you covering this person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we get a lot. We get a lot. Which is fine. I mean, obviously, it's the format of our show. So right. So it's fine. And I'll, I'll, I'll tip a hat and say, we're working on something that I think fans will find very exciting. Right. Regarding all of this. The collection of all the people who get right. brought up a lot we have in a our lot, conversations. We have a lot of people in, like, sort of planned for next year. We, we have all but one miniseries locked down pretty much at this point. Yes. And what we're going to do with that one open spot, I think fans will find exciting. And we'll talk about that later soon. in the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, later in 2018. Yes. Here's a question from King Guthrum that oh the great King Guthrum that I have been asked a few times okay uh, including by the great David Ehrlich past and future guest mm-hmm. what the heck does sweaty mean in context yeah. of a film slash story I think this I thought this was obvious me too I once tried to use it in an article and yeah. my great and wonderful editor Lenica McCruz one of my good friends was like literally was just like no what is that word fuck no you're not using that. And I was yeah. like, right, this is just our word. Like, well, it's weird. I always used it, and and my friend Spike, who I've talked about before, who was my roommate when I dropped out of college when I was 19, we used sweaty all the time. I don't remember which one of us brought it to the other, but we would, anytime we use sweaty to describe something, we'd crack up laughing. The idea is a, a, a visible seeing, amount of effort. You're seeing exactly, sweat. You're seeing the movie Sweat. It's right. just like in Total Recall where he sees the bead of sweat go down his face. Right. The thing's getting and it's sweaty. Like he it's, knows something's up. It's not operating smoothly. Hard. Even if you make it through, it's not without. Okay. Visible effort. Uh, Seth Finkelstein asks, is Don Bluth the only blank check animator in the modern day? No. All right. Yeah, that's uh, true. And also modern day. I mean, his, his day is a pass. He's true. doing crowdfunding campaigns to be start cool a to Dragon do, Slayer. It'd be cool to do Bluth. Bluth but that 90s cool. run is, uh, is rough. Right. But that was, that was a weird run he had where he had a blank check because Spielberg gave it to him because they wanted to try to take down Disney. Uh, Larry Lazard asks, uh, Super Mario Brothers, great movie or the greatest movie? I've seen that low-key gentleman's three stars David gave it on Letterboxd. Uh, I love Super Mario Brothers. I've seen I that movie too. so many times. That's a weird movie that my brother and I watched a lot. It's not, I know it's not good, but it's it. so fucking weird. And yeah. I think I'm going to be on Masterpiece next year to talk about it. So, really? Uh, well, not um, part of the Five Timers really? Club yet. I got one here from okay. Facebook. Uh, Josh okay. Batty asks, what's your the favorite movie you think deserves a remake? For example, it was a genius idea, but was just terribly executed. 
Or you could even do this question. What's yeah. your favorite movie that deserves slash needs a sequel that never got one? Okay, I got a really good answer for this. Uh, I always thought that The Last Starfighter was the most remakeable movie uh-huh. because it's a phenomenal presence, uh, premise, premise for a film that was executed okay, a subject that's only more relevant now and omnipresent in terms of like the culture's relationship to video games and was also hobbled by uh, limited budget and special effects, right? There was a period of time where I would, when you're in Hollywood, you just right, try Jesus, to do the up. rounds, do these general meetings. Yep. I had a general meeting at Universal, and I told them that I thought you could do a really good Last Starfighter remake and pitch it on them. And they were like, could you try to write this thing for us? And I was, for a period of time, writing sort of treatment stuff for a Last Starfighter remake. It never got very far. I was never being paid money. But I had a take on it that I thought was really good. And it turned out that the rights on that thing are like a fucking like boondoggle. Uh, they're split between companies that went out of business, they're separated, and the screenwriter still retains the approval rights for anything, and he doesn't want to let anyone remake it because he thinks he's going to make a sequel with the original cast, which will never happen. Never, ever happen. But here's the reason I'm bringing this up. Why? Both Seth Rogen and Steven Spielberg actively want to remake The Last Starfighter. I think Rogen's pitch was a little similar to mine. Neither of them could get the right. Spielberg said, give up on it. It's not possible. That's one of the reasons that Spielberg did Ready Player One because mm-hmm. it had the elements of what he wanted yeah, to do yeah, in yeah. Last Starfighter, and that's the new Rogan show Future Man yeah. is similarly him trying to get out his stuff. Right. Uh, that's the way I think would be most remakeable. Sky High 2 is the sequel I want to see most. It's too late now because the kids grew up, though maybe you could do a next generation kind of thing. First Sky High rules. I'm going to be talking that uh, about that on Master Masterpiece. This right. is the episode we're I'm talking about Masterpiece. Remake Fletch. Okay, fine. With no, you. No, no, don't. Yeah, with me in it. No, but Ben's going to be in it. Okay, fine. He's ben in it. the steak sandwich fun. and the steak sandwich. He's so funny, David. He's our funny little boy. <laughs> I'm going to switch over to the emails. Do you not have answers? No. Okay, okay cool. Uh, <laughs> David, <laughs> David is... That's like too complicated mass. a question. I would have to like think about that for a while. I think while. there were some good scoops in my answers. No, no, I think your answers yeah. were good. You had answers. I, yeah. I, I, I was briefly writing a uh, treatment for the last Starfire. I mean, that was never shown to higher ups. I mean, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. Joe. Uh, oh, sorry. the other one is I, I obviously my dream project is I want to remake Midnight Run with me and Gal Gadot. <sighs> okay. It sounds great. You know who's cute though is Kamal and Gal Gadot. They've now done like two separate things together oh, for award cute. season and they've yeah. become this kind of like fun couple. Okay, that's cute. But let me and her make a buddy comedy together. Okay. I want dips. Andrew that. Madigan uh, asks, uh, what do you think of Coco and how does it rank in the Pixar pantheon? Already talked about it. I'm it. hoping to see it after this podcast. Yeah, I we talked about it on this episode. It. I mean, because I, I can get there late, right? Because I don't, I don't want to see oh, this yeah, fucking the, garbage. The fucking show. Olaf thing. They, the movie will start 35 minutes after advertised showtime at the earliest. Um, all right. I uh, loved it. I think I, I can't rank it yet because I've only seen it once. And I've seen every other Pixar movie too many times other than the ones that I hate. But right now, I think Pixar is, I think Coco, rather, is in the top 40% of my Pixar rankings. All right, well, so here's- I think it's maybe about eight or nine on my list. Here's Kate F- F- Fuego. Fuego. I think it's Fuego. Fuego. Do you know her? I was corrected once for saying her name incorrectly. I'm sorry, Fuego. I think it's Fuego. Oh, well, it's got, there's no G, well, whatever. Okay. Um, Kate Fuego. Fuego. Okay. I, I, I Just ask. I think we're walking into What's your Atlanta. favorite park? Okay. Like- you know, Central theme, Park? Theme Park. Well, sure. But, but yeah. No, I think she means theme park. Uh, I, I'm weirdly partial to the Universal Studios in Hollywood, which is very small, a manageable size. And whenever I go out to LA for work stuff, I uh, go there by myself. And if you are a single rider at a theme park, you don't have to wait online because any family that has an odd number of people, they throw you on there. 
So I can go on like every ride within two hours, except I just have to sit creepily next to a, a family. But I did that once when I when I was screen testing for Mulaney. They flew me out, and because it was NBC, they had me stay at the Universal Hotel there next to the theme park. And my screen test was at noon, and I went to Universal. I woke up at 9 a.m., went on every single ride, and was back in my hotel room in time to screen test and fucking book the gig and then get fired. All right. Um, What's your favorite ride? I mean, now it honestly might be the Avatar ride. It was previously at Haunted Mansion. Well... She wants to know how long did you wait? And I think you've answered that already. First time, I think about an hour and change. Second time, about 15 minutes. She says you're disowned. You have to wait at least two hours, according to her. Okay. And are you one of those heathens that prefers, prefers universal? Doesn't seem like you are. Well, I said I like the, yeah. yeah. I, I understand objectively. People, Disney fans hate universal. I like universal a lot. But, but I understand the craft is better at Disney. Universal has more properties than I'm into right now. Maybe. I don't know. Disney has Pixar. Who knows? I, 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 next question. Okay, mailbag cue for Ben. This is from Nathan W. The great Nathan W. You've worked I think on it's a Nathan l- Swagner. Maybe, yeah. You've worked on a lot of podcasts as a producer. True. What is it about <laughs> blank check that gives it a special place in your heart? I think it's the two hour run times. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I really love. No, Ben um, wants to kill himself. <laughs> what, what are we at? Four fifteen now for this app? Uh, yeah, ex- at least. I remember when you guys pitched this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, legendary pit. It, it was ridiculous, but I had worked with Griffin previously. We've talked about the other show it was like yeah. a Gethard, like a kind of recap show. Yeah, Gethard show. Uh, and so, uh, what I really recognized in you guys was that uh, you were passionate about what you were talking about. You really, really knew the ins and outs to a level where having done this now for over two years with you guys, like I've learned shit about the industry. Well, this is an educational podcast, first and foremost. I mean, le- I mean, legit, like you guys know, like feedback all the time, people even reading these emails that, cause we're not going to be able to get to all of them, but yeah. you guys really know this world and love this world, the world and have Pandora. a passion the for the world Kingdom, of Pandora. Walt Disney world for yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, um, I've really enjoyed working on this project with you guys. Oh, come we on. love you, Ben. Get out of here. We love you. You're ben. really the reason this keeps going. I would say yeah. at least, especially at the beginning, I would say, can you imagine us having to upload this podcast on Jesus a weekly basis? That Christ. alone, not even the recording. I remember the when scheduling. we were first pitching it, you were like, I'm down, but you really should find someone for us to like help us with everything. Cause I can't do this myself. Yeah. And I remember thinking, cause I was like doing this like DIY podcast right. with Sony where I was like, Oh, it's not that hard. But you didn't do that many episodes. You weren't on a regular basis. You were you're no, pretty. I know. I'm, right, I'm right, making fun right. of myself. Right? Yes. I'm just like, what the yeah. fuck? I never would have been. Anyway. Right. Yeah. All right. Here's I knew Will- we needed Ben. William Taylor's got a few questions for us. Okay. Speed round. The great William Taylor. Speed round. One, would a theoretical Steven Soderbergh miniseries do all his movies or start in the 2000s? No, it would. You would have to start at the beginning, but. It's a lot. I mean, the reason we're not going to do it anytime soon is it's so many movies and yeah. it's like after Sex, Lies, and Videotape, it's like six movies that are like really Kafka, weird. Right. Kafka and the Underneath and yeah. King of the Hill, which are like interesting movie and Schizopolis, which yeah. he's a big fan of. And like Schizopolis is, is an interesting movie, but like fucking hell. I'd love to do them someday. You know, I think the two instances we've done of like limiting a filmography for the sake of a miniseries, there's a clear kind of ellipses point to why that represents a certain era. And there isn't with him because he's all over the place. Twenty, The 2000s, you just go, this is was his most successful period. But right. it doesn't feel you, like there's an instrumental shift in the way he was making movies. Well, there isn't, there isn't. I mean, he's getting yeah. more studio attention after he makes out of sight. It's just yeah. weird. Anyway, I'd love to do him. It just say. would be hard. Well, maybe someday. Put on the books. We'll do him 2022. Maybe someday. Exactly. Uh, number two. 
two. David, you spoke highly of the AV Club commenters in the last mailbag. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> maybe sarcastically. Yeah. Uh, but do you remember the commenter memes about you there? I still have to fight back the urge to call you capital letters. Sims! Sims. Yeah, uh, I do remember. They ragged on you. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot of love to those days. Um, but uh, A lot of tough love, too. It was some tough love. Uh, I don't like comments. I never read them. You had to do recaps on Seinfeld and Simpsons, classic Simpsons, which were kind of thankless those two, jobs because people are very impassioned. The other thing is, though, I actually also recapped a lot of modern shows that were also... Like modern Family? <laughs> never did Modern Family. Okay. That also had very passionate fan bases that could be very mean. Uh, specifically, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and True Blood. Sure. Those right. are two of my assignments uh, that were really... Uh, they could be hard on anyone. Yeah. And uh, it was just, I don't read the comments ever there, on but the, anything. But there was, just explain, there was this meme of yelling Sims when people were frustrated with your takes. Uh, yeah, well, yes. Uh, that was that was uh, generated out of Seinfeld, and then it became one of the commenter awards was the Sims Award for, like, most clueless reviewer or something like that. Anyway, uh, you know, it was all fine, but then my friends caught wind of it, and they would send me every week emails. Yeah. Of the comments they thought were the funniest. And you're like, too much. Which is like, I was trying to avoid yeah. them. So it, uh, it weighed on me a little bit. That's like bit. when people will sometimes tweet at me mean things that people wrote about me on the internet. And it's like, maybe I don't want to see this. Maybe don't I don't do like that. when people insult me. I genuinely don't like comments and don't read them. And I know a lot of people who... Especially now with Kinja. Am I right? That's <laughs> fucking Kinja. Very system. true. I do actually have a Kinja account. I don't, uh, yeah. Because I had to to like migrate yeah, my... Yeah, yeah. Shit. Anyway, Griffin, what was your experience on the set of Night Moves? Do you and Kelly Reichardt still keep in touch? We don't keep in touch. I had a great experience on that. I mean, she's one of my favorite living filmmakers. Great filmmaker. Um, Her last movie was phenomenal. Agreed. Women. Uh, I, uh, that was the last day of filming the last scene. So it's the end Griffin's of the movie. Griffin's in the wait, last scene wait, of wait, Night wait, Moves. Wait, hold on. You were working on some Night Moves? I was working on some Night Moves. It was a day shoot, but I was working on some Night Moves. Uh, but it was cool because that's the end of the movie, which means that the scene kind of has more weight to it than a lot of one-scene roles that, that you could get, you know? I've had a lot of people ask me like what that scene was about because a lot of people find that ending kind of inscrutable, but I uh, liked how oblique it was. I originally thought in the script there were two different managers written, mm -hmm. and I thought I was playing the one with less lines, and I got to set and found out that they'd combined the two parts. Right. And I suddenly, Makes my sense. role was double-sized, which was very exciting. Uh, and I got to work with Jesse Eisenberg, who's a real mensch. He is. Um, and uh, because— like himself. Because it was the last day of filming, I got to go to the rap party, which was that night in Medford, Oregon. And boy, was it a fucking rager. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the best anecdote about it. Uh, Kelly Riker, who has a very specific acting style she wants, in the least specific, uh, least surprising, most specific uh, direction of all time, told me that I talk too fast to be in a Kelly Reichert movie. Sure. So every take, she just kept on telling me to slow slower, down. Slower, Griffin. And then there was a part where you overhear me talking about something. The way it's mixed in the final film, you can barely hear it, but it's supposed to be me talking about Charlie Sheen having his meltdown. Uh -huh. That's what was written, being like, I don't know why he'd sabotage all of that. You know, he was getting paid good money. And she was like, feel free to improvise and add some more onto that. And uh, I used the term residuals, and she called cut because she was like, this guy would never know the term residuals. Fair. Fair. You know too much about show business to play this character. It's a good story. Uh, yeah, but the, a great movie. I was really honored to be in it. I don't keep in touch with her, but I, I had a fucking great time working on them. All right, Harrison O'Claire. We got a lot of emails, dude. We're not we're not even going to come close to answering all these, to be clear. But uh, let's speed around like five. More. No, I know, I know. I just yeah. I want to. I appreciate I how many too. emails we got, I and we will try to get back to these. Yeah. We will try and do these episodes once in a while. Yeah, like we have well, twice a year, maybe. Uh, Harrison O'Claire asked three questions. One okay. of which was, "What's our minute black two pitch?" So we answered that. But I want to answer it. his final question. I want to go off this. 
Why does David love Thor 2 so much? For one, both of us love Thor 2. Maybe I, so. I love it more than you. I don't know about that. But uh, we both really love I it. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's still not the best as, of the Thor movies. I agree. It's not as bad as everyone says IMO, but I just got to hear his take. That's why I wanted to bring this up because I, we both saw Ragnarok and I think we're both on the low end yeah. of Ragnarok I fandom. It was fun. Because, uh, yeah, it's totally fun. And I think I've sort of nailed why I don't like Ragnarok and why I do like the Dark World yeah. in thinking about both movies. Stakes. Stakes for sure. Ragnarok yeah. has no stakes. No, because when you apply the Taika Waititi thing to it, that clashes with, and his whole style is fun and the movie is just really entertaining and sort of joyful. But um, anytime it gets into like the Marvel plotty world building stuff, it's hard to take any of that stuff seriously. And it's like, I'd prefer that movie if they didn't, concern him with any of that and he could have just made an out and out comedy but as it is when you get to like the final battle in Asgard I'm just kind of like well I can't take any of this the seriously. final battle is rough yeah uh, the villain is pretty rough too as much as Kate sort of going for it, it but that stuff feels kind of perfunctory in the movie it feels like he just has to get that done um, Thor 2 I think both you and I like that it's a really good brother movie I, uh, yeah. I think it's a good brother dynamic movie. I think it's a great brother movie. You know, obviously the dynamic is in one and three as well, but it's best in two. One is sort of setting it up. Right. I think three, they make them a little too friendly. They don't totally deal with the weight of how much bad shit Loki's done. You, you forget he killed Phil Coulson. Right. I, they've sort of just, you know. Where anyway. I think Dark World gets to this, like, you're always going to be attached to your family, even if you hate them. I agree. I also just think Dark World is just unashamed of diving into the sort of That's Lord of the like. Ringsy kind of vibe. Of I like Thor. how much they own that shit. And like you know, you literally will have like you know, like zooming yeah. in, and then like on screen, it's like Vanaheim or and whatever. Isn't like, the they opening just line, like care. in the beginning, there were dark elves. In the which beginning, is just like, there was nothing. It, going and then from nothing came the dark elves. Right. Something like that. I also and think like Hopkins is like dialed up, whereas in in yeah. Ragnarok he is just silly. Yes, and like. The, the scene where Loki as Hopkins is watching the play in Ragnarok. Loki good. Is good. Loki good. But it's also, ben, it's also the thesis problem, my, the, my problem with the movie, which is the whole movie is just like, the whole Ragnarok movie yeah. is like, man, those Thor movies are fucking dumb. I, as I said on Letterboxd. And Avengers Age of Ultron is dumb. The movie feels to me like a Mad Magazine parody of itself. Right. Which like, fine. If you want to make in your, your 20th Marvel movie just a dumb parody of Marvel movies, fine. But like, it feels like Jaws 3 people zero. He's like, like, he's like Dante, making fun right. of the sun's getting real low thing. Yeah. And like, I'm sure people find that funny, but like, it's kind of like, okay, so you had your fun. Like, but like, I agree also. Who I mean, Malkithy Accuser, boring villain. We all agree on that. I like him. Uh, I don't agree. I, th I think Eccleston's fun in it. Um, he's cool. But the thing I don't think that film ever gets enough credit for, one of the better final set pieces of any Marvel movie, them fighting through the dimensions and love the wormholes. Love rules. It. It's visually inventive, is exciting. Love it. Funny. Love it. Good movie. <laughs> Solid fucking movie. Next question. Oh, we got one here about Vaporwave, uh, my favorite. Uh, so, so this I, I would for say, David? this is a real uh, question? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's from uh, uh, Mindspring Memories. Uh, he, <laughs> okay. Uh, so great I would, Mindspring I'd Memories. I'd say check out Death's Dynamic okay, Shroud. Okay, that's enough of that. Uh, enough of that. Enough you know, of that. I think like David, HKE next question. Or, uh, okay. Sorry. Waterfront, waterfront Dining's good. Yeah, okay. Okay. Waterfront Dining, what is this, Pandora? Uh, the World of Avatar? <laughs> There's a bunch of questions asking if we'll do like live shows, especially like a lot of people are asking if we'll do live shows outside of the city. I mean, I hate doing live shows. You don't shows. like doing it. 
Yeah. It's just not my thing. Yeah. I would do it again, obviously. Like, you know, but there's, it would have to be kind of like a reason. We've never been able to quite adapt our show to a live show. There's that idea I had that you like that just requires more planning outside of us. We have to sort of grow as a podcast to be able to do this, but to be able to do like screenings where we do a Q&A with someone well, afterwards. Yeah, that would be fun. That would right. be a lot of fun. But uh, right. That requires like planning and Jesus Christ, we're, we're like treading water just putting this thing out. Right. But, we but if we were jobs, able to right. like host a screening of say, you know, uh, uh, Strange Days at the Metrograph and then do a Q&A with, like, Angela Bassett afterwards. That would rule. And if we were to do that, we would release it as a podcast. But there is a lot of planning involved in getting actors to agree to do things with us and getting theaters to agree to let us do screenings that we haven't even begun to tap into. But I think we've all liked that idea. That's probably if we did live shows the way we do it. I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I mean, look. It's hard. We have jobs. Like outside it, of this show, yeah, we want to make this show for you guys. Hard it was for us to not miss an episode over the last year when I started in a TV show and had to go one to day. Australia if anyone ever press. wants, right? If anyone ever wants to write like the history of blank check, yeah, the the Nolan miniseries that it's good is and it, it is insane. good. It arguably is our best miniseries. Possibly. I think it's like our, or at least it's our most consistent, most listened to, certainly. And like when you think about what what was happening while we were making no that. And idea. you have no idea have what was no happening. You have no idea. Like, you can't even imagine. I do so much for you people. You don't even know. <laughs> he, he He's such an idiot. You don't God. even know. Well, I do a lot, too. Okay, but I never get a chance to talk on this podcast. <laughs> Fuck you. You're muffling yeah. me at every moment. I'm going to keep on doubling down on this bit. <laughs> oh, God. I've been silenced on this podcast. It never reflects my interests. Many. Yeah, I think we're... Okay, one last question. Uh, Yeah, um... One last question. We've gotten some like really nice questions from people that are just like, you know, I like the show. Okay, but that's not a question. Joe Unless Bowen. Unless it's why do I like this show? Joe Bowen. Who did our artwork? The great Joe Bowen. The great Joe Bowen. I have no answer to this question, but I'll try to think of something. Okay. What is the last toy you bought? Um, the best thing to end on, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the last one I bought? That's hard because it's some stiff competition. I bought uh, a Rex at Disney World when I was at Disney World. Like uh, from Toy Story? Yeah, but it's like a good quality Rex. They never made a fully screen accurate Rex. It's the right size and has the right sort of uh, material integrity to it. It talks. It's got the flapping jaw. I was very happy with it. It was a good purchase. Can I, can I, so box, this almost a merchandise spotlight. You picked this as the last question. There is a line of toys that came out this year that I think is the greatest line of toys ever, and it seems to have been abandoned. I thought it was going to be complete, and they seem to have strangled it to death in the crib, still in its infancy, okay? Uh-huh. For the new Fast and Furious movie, Fate of the Furious, they released a line of toys called the Fast and Furious Stone Stars that are cars that come with, like, inch-tall little figures of the human characters from the Fast and Furious, and they have magnets in their feet so you can put them on top of the cars and roll the cars along. And it's like they're hanging out on the top of the car. But the thing that makes it the fucking best is if you push the tailpipe, the, the hood of the car flips up. So it's like Vin Diesel's jumping off the top of a car. Sure. It's the best. And I was like, they're going to make the whole fucking cast. And they seemingly have stopped. We got Dominic Toretto. We got Tej. We got it's, Agent uh, Hobbs. Right. We, had, uh, we have uh, Luke. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Owen Shaw. Uh, Who's sure, the Luke Evans, uh, Luke Evans one in his weird little flip car. Uh-huh. And then the last one they made, fucking Jaman Hunsu from Fury 7. Sure. We didn't get Letty. All right. That's enough for that. Yeah. We didn't yeah. get Roman. I said that's enough for that. Mia. 
Okay, really Declan quick. Shaw. Uh, someone asked me about my f- fashion faves, yeah, like yeah, favorite yeah. costumes yeah. and stuff. We don't have time to get through like my top three, so I'm just gonna say True. Mad Max Fury Road is the fucking best it's for the costumes. Best. It's the best it's costume. Crazy good. good. I, I don't like the Milk Boys, but um, <laughs> I like the Fuzzy Lint gang. They're cool with the yeah. dreads. Tom Hardy has a classic motorcycle jacket. It's all dusty and shit. He's got yeah. like some fucking leg fucking straps and shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. Charlie's also straps, goggles, and then the head painted kind of black. <laughs> it's really fucking cool. Love that movie. Ben's reading off of notes he's, right now. No, he's he might be actually. All right, can we wrap this up? I swear to God. Wrap it up. You sound like whoever costume Charlie's there on. Exactly. He's got the wraps. <laughs> uh, oh, well. We should mention the hotline. Yeah, well, oh. I guess we have to add another thing to the garbage plate. Right. Last thing. So we've now So set we up. did right. We did all our garbage plate rankings. That was the beans. Avatar Land, I guess that was the, the meat. Yeah. Uh, the f- I don't fuck the potatoes were Man what Black we just too. did. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Pre-recorded audio. Yeah, anyway. Whatever. It's a great episode. The final thing. It's a top great episode. It's right to the top of pod mass. Uh-huh. Come on, guys. It's the end of the year. Like, we just, we get, we're, we're just, tired. And, and we've also recorded so many episodes canned up months in advance. We were like, let's record one that comes out like fucking four days before we release it. Let's uh, do one that's relevant. That's fresh. It's so true. Fresh up. Um, but we have now set up a Obviously, hotline. our Star Wars is also going to be very fresh. Very fresh. Yeah, yeah. But we're going to have a lot to talk about there. Yep. Um, I hope. We're just I, like I, shitty. I knew hope. <laughs> <laughs> that would suck if it's just like, I don't know, this kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> we have not had a burger port in a long time. For people who started listening this year, you might not even know what a burger port is, which is when Ben, David, or I would report on a time we'd seen a famo, a famous person, eating any type of burger at any point in time. But wait, I'm out of stories. Ben, are you out of stories? I've, I mean, I've told all my best stories. Yeah, I, I, I think I, the last one I told was the... Wait, but how could there be a burger report? Because we set up a hotline. What's that number, Ben? That number is... Can you look? I don't remember. <laughs> we set up a number. <laughs> and you can call it. What a fucking idiot. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Am I supposed to memorize the burger? Yeah. 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 8028 Burger. 8028 Burger. Look at me blowing out the mic. Baby, you call that number, you leave a voicemail, you tell us about any time you had ever seen any famo eat a burger. Evergreen. No statute of limitations. What if I saw them eat a salad? Get the fuck out of here. What if I want to leave a message about something else? It will be deleted promptly. <laughs> this phone line and is for one bagel thing. Bagel reports? No. Well, that's the Bagel Chronicle, and that's a separate phone line. There's a beeper you can call if you got a Bagel Chronicle story for us. All right, so here, people have been calling in, and you can call in any time and report about Burger Reports only. Only. 802-8-BURGER. And uh, we're going to play a Burger Report. And this from is from one of our old good friends. Our Blankerican. I Laugh Alone, who we've invoked before, who had a question on this episode, a great supporter of the podcast. Hope you're doing well, and thank you so much for sharing this Burger Report with us. Hello, everybody. This is Griffin Neiman. Thank you for calling the Burger Report hotline. Please leave a message with your FAMO type of burger and location, and we will try to put it on the podcast if we can. Yeah, I have a Burger Report out here from Puerto Rico, and Emilio, I left alone about eight years ago. My best friend's uncle is famous character actor Luis Guzman. So he went to a basketball game that me and my best friend played, and after the game, I was at a Burger King, and he came to the Burger King, and I found him eating a Whopper. So that's my Burger Report. I saw Luis Guzman 
star of movies such as Boogie Nights and Traffic, eating a Whopper at Burger King. Thanks for all the laughs. We love you, man. That was the best. Let me say, that's a perfect burger report. If you want a template for what kind of voicemail to leave, that's, good specifics, right. good context. I love they told us it was a Whopper. The more you remember about the that's burger, the better. I was going to say, because the Whopper is maybe the best fast food burger. I mean, you got Wendy's. They yeah. make a good fast food burger. And now you've got like your Shake Shack and your five. But, but I'm like, talking about I like the, the context, the, the friend's chains. uncle. It was in Puerto Rico. You remember the burger and it was nice and concise. And also shouted out his best performance in traffic. Yes. Do you think that's his best? I think that might be his best performance. Um, I mean, he's such a pro. He's yeah. given so many amazing performances. Waiting. <laughs> Do you know what he's weirdly great in? What? School for Scoundrels. I've never seen that movie. He's really good in it. When's he back? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, I think it's that one. Anyway, uh, great burger report. Thank you so much for that. Uh, hope you're doing well. And uh, yeah, please call that number. He's in it. And as always, remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Joe Bonapat Rounds for artwork, Lee Montgomery for a theme song, and for Gudo for our social media. Go to blankies.reddit.com for Don't some real nerdy shit. No. Next week, it's here. It's that yearly tradition. Yeah. It's that time. I can't believe it's here. I hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ring, tingling too. <laughs> Gonna see it, the last it, Jedi it. with Ben and David and you. I'm seeing it three times in a week, baby. He's already got three screenings booked up <laughs> in one week. And get ready for the merchandise spotlight on that one. Um, the Porgs. I know. I don't want to tell you what it's going to be. Porg, baby Porg. I don't. T- I don't want to tell what it's going to be. Hey, on the record, I think that big dude, Snoke. Snoke. It's not going to be big. He's actually going to be really small. The room. The projection. Rumor, the rumor I've heard is that he's big but not huge. Fuck that. That he's like eight foot five. <laughs> Snook. All right. He's like big, but he's not like All right. Gigantic. We're done. <laughs> yes. We've done for we've gone for two hours at least on okay, this great. fucking thing. And as always. We haven't even inserted your friends. How long's that audio? Done enough. <laughs> it's five minutes. I kept the time. Okay, good. And as always, pow, I shit my pants. Okay, great. It's because of the the mug. <laughs>